Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. to the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. It's dear to hear filling in for PJ. We have lots coming up on today's show, including how to handle the conspiracy theorist in your family. Some people call them COVID-idiots, but we wouldn't go that far. What it's really like for a teenager in a psychiatric hospital. And some news on the budget. If you've been following the news this morning, you'll have heard a little bit about that and a little bit about the promised measures. A lot of soft, uh, nice, positive measures in there, it has to be said. Um, that's the that's the way they seem to be flying the kites on that. So we will be talking to Pierce Doherty from Sinn Féin later on about their views on the budget um, and what they would do differently. But also to Aaron Mansworth of the IHF, the Hotels Federation. Obviously hotels in serious crisis at the moment and, um, you know, wondering, I suppose, what can be done for them in the budget if there's anything done that can be done to try and save some of those jobs and quite a lot of people employed in that sector. First, though, a bit of good news. Um, it's kind of thin on the ground these days. So we're delighted to be able to bring you this story. We spoke a couple of months ago to two men who were living on a bus in County Cork. And uh, since then, there has been a lot going on in the background in relation to those men and their situation. Uh, a number of local activists out in the area of the county where they are living um we're working on this with them and uh, in just a moment I'll be speaking to one of those activists about all the things that have happened since we last caught up. So just to refresh your memories on Patrick and Adrian Walsh they're the two men who were living in a bus and uh, here's a little bit of PJ's interview with them. It is horrible. You know what I mean? No, no, coming into winter f***ing hell. You, you showed me inside it. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. And we can't stop the lot from getting yeah. in. The rats. Show me, show me, sorry, you were in there, Pat. You, you, you can't stop the rats getting in, no? No, no, because they're not. Underneath there, because we blocked that off. Yeah. A thousand could, but there's hairy stuff here, look, they eat through that. Oh, they eat through that, yeah, so. And, and it goes underneath the bunk. And of course, you're not far from the river. Oh, you're, you're not far from the river, so you get rats. Dog, yeah, what, I think they They're just known, watching telly. Next to dog jumped off the, the bunk and he took off over there and he's a dead rat and the dog chased him and yeah. they couldn't find him but they tried our best like what, what age are you Adrian? I'm 37 37 and, and you're living here a couple of years and you just want out of it yeah Jesus Jesus Christ yeah, it is a joke yeah. and I'm a sick man like 
I fell off a bridge over in Wales. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's a still, my God, that's some scar there now. In fairness, that's some scar you have there. Yeah. You're lucky to be standing in front of me. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and I know that you get headway coming out to you and they do everything. And Vincent de Paul. So that was Patrick and Adrian Walsh. Adrian has a head injury, as you could hear in that interview, and is not a well man. Kate Durant is on the line. Kate, you've been working with these men along with a group of other volunteers in the area. Yes. Um, that now, primarily, I have to say that the, the lady who works with them with Headway, Marianne, is just, without them, she's just a driving force. She just wasn't going to let this go until they were sorted. And, and then we all rode in behind Marianne. Um, she's just super. She just has the best hearts at, at Neve. So, yeah, so... It, um, they first we first got to know them during lockdown and um through Blani Meals on Wheels we were trying to deliver them a hot lunch every day and then it became apparent they couldn't even heat the lunch because they were taking their electricity from a car battery. Mm. Um unbelievable as that sounds. So Vincent de Paul have been involved with them for a while, so they started sending them out food that they could eat, um that didn't need heating, which isn't ideal, but it was better than nothing. Um, and then we, we, we were trying to work out how, the, how we were going to house them because the big fear was we're going into another winter. Um, I don't know how they've survived so far, and but you know, once you see it, once you know it, you can't then walk away and ignore it. Um, they are well. Ninety six FM came in then. Thank you very much, very much, because it's down to you and Liz Dunphy and the examiner who followed up from you that that that, that this came to light. PJ went out and interviewed them as you played that interview and then people got to know and people got to care. So, long story short, um, a couple of people actually paid off. They had they had issues with Cork City Council. People paid, paid off arrears they had, which was really kind of them. So they now are on the Cork City Council waiting list. Great. But then so are a lot of other people and there's a lot of desperate situations there. Um, so you can't just jump to the top of the queue. So we knew that. So we appealed then with you, thank you, to, to get them a house. And I have to say, amazingly, three or four people offered to house them. Um, but unfortunately, all the houses were a little bit too remote. And when I say that, I don't mean they were picky. Mm-hmm. Um, I just mean that Adrian has considerable hospital appointments. Um, they, they have a very unreliable vehicle and they're never going to have money to have a really good vehicle either. Mm. They would have been completely on their own, not near any kind of town. And they would have lost the infrastructure, the likes of Marianne and Headway and mm. the people that are actually really, really um, helping them. So between the jigs and the reels, um, we decided to set up a GoFundMe. Uh, we, we just, do you know what? We kind of hit a wall. We didn't know what else to do because housing, it was it was getting kind of desperate. We said, what are we going to do here? Because we'd said we'd do it, but then we couldn't really work out how. And I have to say, in fairness to Blarney Castle Estate, um, who, who offered a, a house which we couldn't take either, even when we turned that down, they didn't leave it at that. Mm-hmm. And they've they've very kindly, we have a few bob in the go for me. We have 2,000 euros thanks to the massive kindness of people. Um, Vincent de Paul are always there in the background and helping them out. Um, but there's no way we could have afforded a mobile home like this. So Blarney Castle Estate have very kindly given us a mobile they're no longer using. Um, Yeah, so we'll make a contribution towards it, but it will just be a contribution. So it's it's fantastic. It's fully furnished as these things are. And there's a there's a bathroom and there's a kitchen and there's two bedrooms and it's just uh, it's nothing you wouldn't live in yourself. It's lovely. So compared to what they have been in, it probably is like the Ritz. 
Oh, I'd say so. I'd say so. And I mean, they can also stay where they're familiar mm. and they're quite near to Granada and Blarney. So they've got all their supports there and they've got shops and, you know, they know their space and they're happy. And I think as well, when you've lived out of it without neighbours, maybe that's the way you'd like to continue to. Not mm. everybody wants to live in a housing estate. Yeah. Um, and I think we all become used to what we do. Um, and and we had one last piece. Now, we're still, this week's going to be a hard week because we've got to get it out there. We've got to work out... Um, obviously about main sanitation and, and stuff. We're learning a lot as we're going along, but we're, we're getting there. Mm. We are nearly across the line, but we'd one big hurdle at the weekend to move the mobile is going to cost €800, Euro, which we don't have because we don't have anything. Mm. Um, and I have to say, in fairness to uh, our local councillors, Davian Boylan and John Sheehan, they both spent a considerable amount of time this weekend working on it. And I got a text off John Sheehan yesterday morning, Willie O'Brien is going to move it without any cost. Oh, wow. Yeah, so we only found that out. At, at, it was about lunchtime yesterday. So Fantastic. That's massive because that's eight hundred euro that we can that well say <laughs> we don't have it anyway. But we'd have found it. But there will be other needs, you know, we need a generator for them, we need to sort out electricity, you know, and all those things will add up. But 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 we are nearly across the line. So by this time next week, um I'd like to think that the two boys will be sitting there with their kettle on and uh, sitting in their lovely couch and uh, or maybe having a lie-in in one of their nice beds and getting up to face a day and start a new life thanks to the kindness of people and it's not you said at the first about being activists do you know what we are we're not we're just neighbours mm-hmm. you know you can't live alongside somebody in your lovely house and pass them in, in the bus um, you know so yeah. so that's all it's just okay. neighbours digging out neighbours it's just how it should be isn't it and just to be sure Kate that's that's Willie O'Brien of Willie O'Brien uh, Crane Hire yes yeah, yeah, he's oh, got well. a slogan, and I'm trying to think. Don't risk it, let really Brian shift it. That's the one. So yeah, so so he's shifting it for us. Well, do you know what, Claire? Them. That's not the first time I've heard of the O'Briens coming in to the rescue in a situation something like yeah. this. That's not the first time we've got offers from them of this nature. Yeah, so, it's brilliant. Fair isn't place it? It's brilliant. Yeah. It's, so you know the kindness of people, and you know I just can't wait. I mean, nobody can wait to see. That them settle, but I mean, I'm a tiny cog in this way. As I say, like Marianne Headway, oh, well, you know, just push, 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 and wasn't going to give up um, on on these two gentlemen that she's become so fond of. And Vincent Wall is always Vincent Wall are very quiet about what they do, and very dignified about what they do. But mm-hmm. they are changing lives yeah. in small ways and in massive ways, in ways like this, and in education, um, in feeding people. But they just, I suppose, they're an older organisation. They don't use social media so much. They're not as active online as a lot of other newer organisations are but the work they do and the integrity with which they do it and the dignity they give to people I cannot overstate that and uh, I've never really come across a charity that does so much good work but hides their light under a bushel so Mm, well Um, so so, yeah so you know what They're, they're super they're always there in the background you know that from your work, the amount of phone calls you get, yeah. and you've only sent a text, and it's sorted, yeah. and it's and it's and it's reacted to. But it also the long term, then is looked at. You know how how can we stop this? How can we? It's like with these lads. There's no point throwing money at them and giving them a couple of nights in a hotel. They need to move forward with their lives. Yeah. You know, so this will hopefully. I mean, they are on the housing list. They may get a house. I have no idea, but you know, they now have a home for as long for as long as they need to a beautiful home, a home you or I would live in. So. You know, it's just, it's fantastic. So to everyone who offered, to the houses we turned down, um, which may have seemed strange because you'd say, well, surely anywhere is better than, than a bus. But geography is so important mm. when, when you're so isolated by your illness. Um, 
and and you need your supports around you. And I say need, I don't mean, oh, I want to be near so-and-so. It's not that. It's yeah. it's, it's far more serious than that. And to Blarney Castle Estate for plugging the gap. And again, <clears throat> there's somebody that, that, that help out our local schools and everything here in Blarney. And again, they do it very, very quietly too. So, you, you know, credit where credit is due to everybody. So it's just wonderful way to start the week, isn't it? It sure is. Happy Monday, Kate. Thank you. And yeah. thank you to you two for all your work that you do with them because you thank uh, no, everyone I, else there. I but know, no, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just need to go and find out now about... Um, sanitation or composting and things like this so I'm just going to I'm going to learn so much today. So it's whole new funny. So, yeah exactly <laughs> I'll fill you in another time and Thanks this is good luck I presume this is the last time I'll talk to you on 96FM It probably um, is prob- Well I yes. said that the last time I was talking to someone too and here I am again So <laughs> Yeah well good luck in your new position and uh, I look forward to uh dealing with you in the examiner and thank you for everything Deirdre at PJ and for all your help to for getting this across the line Thanks, much appreciated no problem at all we're just Talk delighted thank you we're just delighted for Patrick and Adrian because um, we get so many people coming to us with different problems and that one was really complicated and it has been resolved in a way that will suit them and it will suit their situation and suit their particular needs and it's amazing isn't it that when you put out an appeal like that that three or four different people can come to you with a house that is sitting there idle you know and hopefully the people who did offer those houses hopefully they'll you know go further with that and find maybe uh, make them available to other people on the housing list or contact the council and um, get them set up with some kind of a situation because it, it's, it's desperate to have houses empty really in the country at the, the times that we're in uh, Jerry says on WhatsApp in relation to schools I think it's in relation to something that was in the news I disagree with the health minister the schools are not contributing to the virus spread many schools have no contact tracing in place so how do they know there are students off sick now that won't go for a COVID test because it affects their family and other known contacts. Schools are leaving students downtown at lunchtime for God's sake and they're coming out the same gate as other schools. Schools are a joke at this time. Jerry, I was actually in Middleton on Friday afternoon at school finishing time and I was like somebody I'd say um, with, what's that thing where you can't go outside the door? Um, I just, I was I was in the car and I literally the kids just all came pouring out of the three different schools at the same time. The place was thronged with them and we have had contacts previously from people living in Middleton near the schools about agoraphobia. Thanks Fergal. Um, agoraphobia is the thing where you can't leave the house. Um, but we have been contacted previously by residents in Middleton who live near the schools. No particular, no school in particular or anything like that. Um, and I can see how the concentration of kids along very narrow little streets um, at one time can be kind of intimidating if there is any, you know, antisocial behaviour or anything like that going on, which there wasn't, by the way, but that's been previous reports. Um, but just the numbers, we're all being told, you know, only talk to one person or two people or three people or whatever, limit your contacts. And then I can see how people are sitting inside their sitting rooms afraid to leave the house when there is a school emptying near them. Now, presumably they all disperse pretty quickly, but I was a bit like, oh God, look at that crowd. And it struck me talking to somebody at the weekend, um, all of us living through this are never going to be comfortable in a crowd again like things might reopen and everything but I can't see myself ever probably being comfortable going back into like a, a big crowded um, situation like a, a concert or a match or something um, I don't know if anyone else feels like that uh, Finn says on WhatsApp in relation to the lads living in the bus well well I'm sitting here listening to this I'm so happy for the two lads but D it has let the authorities off the hook the powers that be should hang their heads in shame houses turned down not from the council but the people people who care. Um, yeah, I suppose, Finn, the council listened to a lot of hard luck stories and to be fair to the people, you know, doing those jobs, they're hearing every unfortunate situation that is going on and there's thousands of them. Um, and they, I suppose they can't um, pull strings and find... Um, 
find niches and and find little gaps and things to, to fix every one of them. Um, so I'm glad that, that we were able to help fix that one. But yeah, there's certain aspects of this that, that the council, the, I suppose not just the council, but the authorities, there is a huge gap. Those two lads, because of the brain injury, um, they weren't suitable to live in shared accommodation like a shelter, but that means there's nowhere else for them. Um, so and in order to get on the housing list, to get a house, you have to spend time in the shelter. I think if you're a man anyway, because there's more male shelter spaces, that's as, as I understand it. Um, but because they couldn't live in the shelter, they couldn't complete step one of the journey to get a house with the council. Um, so the, there was no other step. There was no way of circumventing that as far as we could find out. So, and there must be other people in that situation. So you do kind of wonder, you know, is anyone looking at those situations going, okay, have we another, have we a workaround? The, 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 the authorities, I suppose, officially don't seem to be able to do workarounds. Um, and, you know, maybe that's just the nature of bureaucracy. But I don't know. Um, speaking of bureaucracy and speaking of regulations, um, my next guest in just a moment is going to be Dr. Jack Lambert. He's written a very interesting piece about living rather than dying with COVID and about what he thinks of the regulations, the idea of lockdowns and his actual suggestions for alternatives. Because there's an awful lot of people saying, oh, we don't want another lockdown or we do need to lockdown or whatever. But people aren't coming up really with kind of viable alternatives. And I think uh, you'll be interested in what he has to say. Consultant in infectious diseases. Good morning, Jack. Good morning. Tell me, you have suggestions. I thought your piece was really, really Really interesting that you've written. We'll, we'll stick a link to it on our Twitter. Um, you're you're not in favour of this kind of. I suppose I don't think anyone really is in favour of, of what we saw last week, which, which was just chaos and uh, rumour and innuendo. Um, you you mention in your piece particularly this idea of the um, the the two week midterm, which it seems nobody at any official level proposed. That seems to be just a, a one person throwaway comment at cabinet, and that led the news agenda for two days last week. Um, so it, it's it's fair to say the communication hasn't been very good but you have um, kind of very concrete ideas for what we should be doing in order in order to kind of live long term with this virus from your suggestion Jack I'm guessing that you don't anticipate a vaccine coming anytime soon no no I really don't you know and I, I think we've had announcements from our government that we'll have a vaccine by February and we'll give it to people but the vaccine's not it doesn't look like the vaccine's there number one the vaccine may never work we just have this in phase three trials. We're waiting to see if the, what the results are. And of course, people are beginning to plan contingency plans, but I wouldn't hold my breath and wait for that. We're praying, but don't hold your breath. I think we have to look at all other options. Okay. So in terms of your suggestions, then your first suggestion is strong and decisive leadership. I think most people would agree that since the government changed, we, we just haven't seen that. There seem to be too many people talking and all of them on a different level completely. Yeah, no, and I, w- I would agree with that. We really need a day-to-day concerted effort. You know, we can't have a leak that this was going to be announced tomorrow and then have the government saying, no, we're not going to do that or we're going to keep the schools out for another week. There's so much misinformation out there. We need kind of a daily communication coming out, you know, to give reassurance to the to the public that, you know, that our government is on track, our government is trying to proactively engage, you know, the Irish population, you know, not scolding them, you're doing the wrong things, you know, you're, the young offenders are, are having house parties, you know, we, we have to kind of really proactively put a plan together. Look at CNN every day. They, they have a picture of a mask. You know, this is not a political statement. You know, a mask works. You know, use it. Mm-hmm. You know, and then we've, we've got, and then CNN this morning, I, you know, the only 
publicity the island gets is the the protest this weekend of the anti you know mask people yeah. uh, it's all over the world you know i mean we we need positive press and we need it to be orchestrated by our government and by our media you know, there's a joint responsibility there. Well, I suppose the media would say it's our job to report what's going on, not necessarily what we'd like to be going on. Yeah, and some media does that and some media uh, spins, you know. So mm. I think we all kind of have to, we have to look at what we're doing right and we have to look at what we can do better. Mm. In terms of your second point, Jack, the, the idea of um, following this plan with a measured response, uh, you're talking about kind of local local measures again rather than seeing this blanket move to level three that we had last week. That's what we agreed to. That's what we agreed to. And then, like I said, using an example, Waterford has followed all the rules. They've Mm -hmm. got low-level infection, and they were rewarded by being moved up to level three. Now, so, so yes, absolutely, we have to escalate when some of the counties are out of control. I mean, Northern Ireland's out of control right now. What yeah. are we doing about that, you know? Um, you know, we have an open border. We, we need to think about local, regional um, responses, uh, to, to, which, which, is, which is fair, you know? And, yes, a, a, as a final result, if we, if, if we go into, you know, the chaos that we did last spring, which I don't think we will, lockdown, you know, level five is the final solution. But what are we doing right now? What have we done over the last couple of weeks since we went into level three to prevent us going into level five? The answer is we've not done a lot. Mm. Um, Other countries, you know, Paris announced wearing masks outdoors in public settings in Paris. Uh, You know, Spain has done the same thing. They do this all over Asia and they're living with COVID well and we we are just sitting there watching the numbers um, and and saying where we may go into lockdown in 10 days we may mm-hmm. be going into lockdown in 7 days but what are we doing to prevent going into lockdown? That's what I ask. In terms of masks outdoors um, do you feel that the evidence is strong enough about um, out needing them outdoors to require that? So I suppose okay. the one thing I would, I would always say about that and um, I think I've, I've heard it said a couple of times that our, our the dispersal of our population has been a big plus for us. We don't have that many areas where people are very close to each other outside because right. we don't have that many crowded cities. So would you still need them outdoors? Well, I think look look at the White House. Look what happened in the White House, and there was gathering. So, so no, do we need out? Do we need masks? 100% outdoors throughout the country? No, we need a selective approach. Mm-hmm. Just like we have to selectively say, you know, Waterford's different than Donegal. We have to say, you know, Henry Street is different mm-hmm. from, you know, walking in Bull Bull Island and and, and Clontarf. Yeah. Yeah, and I think though are a lot of people not kind of intelligent enough to to take that decision for themselves. Like I know if I'm going down into Cork City at lunchtime or whatever, if I have to go to the English market, well, I know I have to wear my mask into the English market. And actually, the two or three side streets around the market are crowded, so I'm going to wear my mask there because I don't want to be too near anyone. And you know, I know I'm going to have to be near somebody. But do you not think people can figure that out for themselves? I, I think the best of us can. But look at look at where the clusters were before back in the spring. It was the disadvantage, the, mm. the, the people of social inclusion, the, the young adults. You know, we, we need to be out there uh, educating people, supporting them, providing messages, I think, mm. you know, rather than just kind of saying, we keep on saying everybody's doing it right. I, I walk city centre every day because my car's parked down there. Yeah. 50% of people are not doing it right. And I'm not saying it's their fault. I'm just saying they need support. We, we, we did it wrong in the hospital two, three weeks ago. All the hospitals let down the guard. There were new cases of COVID because we let down our guard. Mm. Everybody's running around now, educating, supporting each other. Everybody's doing it right now. We need to do this, have the same kind of 
uh, response in the community as we have in the hospitals and, and healthcare settings. Okay. Um, you, we discussed the media already, so that was your third point, but we discussed that. Um, in terms, and, and we've discussed masks as well, we're getting through your points. I just think that the way you have it laid out is very interesting. The COVID support teams, this one I thought was a really good idea. Um, I've been in loads of businesses where I'm looking around going, that doesn't look like two metres to me, or, you know, they don't seem to have really understood the point of the hand sanitizer because it's after you've touched a load of things. Um, do you think that somebody, say public, um, the environmental health officer, for example, or somebody like that, should be going around checking their COVID um, pre- preparations? I think we do. Yeah, absolutely. If we want to do it right, you know, you can't just send a glossy brochure to a builder and say you're the COVID you know, re, you know, officer, mm. do it all right. And then they're wearing visors, but not masks. You know, they're, they're, they're going to coffee rooms and not wearing the masks in the coffee rooms. I mean, yes, mistakes have been made every single day in every community setting because of a, a lack of really detailed direction mm-hmm. like we have in the hospital. So I think that's where a lot of the cases of, of ongoing community transmission are occurring right now. And I think, you know, rather than saying lockdown, I think we have to say, Let's redouble our efforts to do it right. And this mm-hmm. is just one suggestion, having more support and, and, and inspections and education and training in the community, hands-on training by people who are trained by the government to, 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 to perform that function. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, your your idea there is saying people who are sitting at home earning COVID payments, and obviously most of them don't want to be sitting at home, is retrain them. I mean, that wouldn't actually take a huge amount of training. That A few weeks of a course would probably do that, would yeah, it? I'll, I'll run a course. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I mean, there's lots of people, lots of my colleagues are willing to do this, but we have to be asked to do it or we have to be given the opportunity to do it. Okay, that's a great idea. Um, And the travel industry, like we're hearing from the likes of Michael O'Leary, obviously, and hearing from people in the travel industry that obviously the industry is absolutely on its knees. I mean, from the very beginning of this, I remember having this conversation with somebody about airlines and they're saying, oh, when we can fly again. And I kind of said, well, when we can fly again, it's going to cost about 10 times what it did cost because half the airlines are going to be gone. And it is looking like that, isn't it? It absolutely is, you know, and I think actually in May was an opportunity for us to work with the airlines, work with the travel you know, tourist industry to safely kind of restart that economy. And we just basically says, we're an island, we're going to be New Zealand. We need different rules than the rest of the world, different red zones, different blue, you know, lists. And I think we lost that opportunity. And here we are in October. What preparedness do we have at the airports? Very little. Mm-hmm. At the airports at this point, is it still kind of hand sanitizer and, you know, wear your mask? Is that it? And, and then when you return... Um, you're given a piece of paper, fill it out and, and, you know, do your best and a third of people are getting a phone call from the government. I mean, that's totally different than other countries that are doing it right, you know. Other countries, you know, even, you know, middle-income, low-income countries in the Caribbean have COVID testing at the airport's point of entry and a really robust plan. We don't have that. Why? Do you think it's all down to resources or is it an attitude? I don't think it's down to resources. I, 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 who's, who's in charge? Who's taken leadership? Who's given direction on this? Mm. I've suggested it now, but you know, we, we, we've been suggesting it since May, June, July, August, September, October. Um, it's, it's not happening. 
In terms of adding in the number of tests to the system that that would require, um, we know that there's a, a shortage of lab consultants and of people actually doing, lab technicians rather, and people actually doing the work in the background for those tests. A lot of the problem isn't the testing centres, but is actually getting them put through. Um, would that not be too much of a burden on the system to add in that number of tests for people who may or may not have it? Well, it's it's a matter of, you know, where, where, where are you going to put your money? You know, we're losing money every day. So, yes, there, there are ways of doing it. There are new, there are new, there are new testing modalities that would make it user-friendly. So, yes, we should explore that. We shouldn't just say we can't do it because we're overburdened, mm. you know. Mm. Um, in terms then of the, you, you were talking about kind of people to, to tell businesses and organizations that where they're going wrong. Your other idea was COVID SWAT teams. Yeah. Absolutely, we, we, we do we do have, there's a group called Safety Net and they have a mobile health van and they go out around the country right now and they have testing on their machine, on their actually van, vehicle, and you get a result quickly, you can intervene, you can contact Trace, it's been used, you know, they're a, they're a charity, they're not an HSC government organisation, I think we should have three or four of those, the ambulance service, have Safety Net train them up, do it properly, attack the clusters, don't just wait for the numbers to rise, and there are our clusters occurring all over the place and there's too long a delay. If you mm. delay a cluster, then the numbers double, triple, quadruple and that causes the increase in the numbers. I'm looking at a way to keep the numbers down, not just want the number, watch the numbers and react by lockdown when the numbers go too high. Mm. Yeah, the test and tracing, we've had a lot of people contact us about that, particularly in relation to schools. We spoke to an SNA on, I think, Thursday, who was pointing out that if you're an SNA of a child who tests positive, you're not considered a close contact. I mean, an SNA is over the child's shoulder for most of the day. They, there's nobody closer to them. Right, absolutely. I think we need to have we need to have really rapid responses to continue, you know, to, to, to work. My, some of my staff members have had kids who get out of school. Mm. It takes 24 hours to get a hold of GP. It takes two or three days to get the results back. The result is negative, but the whole family is in quarantine for five days and essential mm. healthcare workers can't come to work. Yeah, and that's going to be an increasing problem, obviously, mm -hmm. with the numbers going up again. Um, you mentioned as well the um, publicans and hoteliers. Um, I was uh, Full disclosure, I was on a hotel break myself at the weekend, a Corkation mm -hmm. for the night, and speaking to the people working in the hotel, um, you know, wearing masks and all the rest of it, um, they're just, they've pivoted now so many times. They must be on their fifth or sixth pivot of, okay, well, so they've decided we can only do this, right? Let's figure that out. Let's market it. Let's push it out. Let's advertise it. That all costs money. And then a week later, it all changes. Um, they, I suppose, like you said about the travel industry, there just doesn't seem to be anyone directing that, does there? No, there isn't. It's a DIY job. And I go into these hotels and these facilities and even gyms. Some of them are doing them great, they, but they've done it by themselves. And mm. some of them are doing it poorly. And that's, I think that's where, where, where the problem is. But we have to encourage those who are doing it right um, and, and support them and educate those who are doing it wrong. Yeah, and in terms of your idea, the, the the Temple Bar Group you mentioned have a COVID startup plan based on the one that has been used in Hong Kong. Uh, what does that involve? Well, it involves a lot of things. There's 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 extending outdoor areas. Mm. Um, it's having educational training when people enter the facility in terms of what they need to do in terms of hand washing, in terms of you know using a mask even when you go to the toilet. They've got filters that are mm. filtering out COVID that you know that like air conditioning uh, filters that 
filter COVID. There's a whole plan um, that looks like a safe plan, and we, sh- we should be discussing that. The government should be proactively discussing these plans. Um, we should have been discussing these plans in April, May. They've had these plans since April, May. Um, so I think we, we, we need to, there's lots of really good experts in Ireland who have lots of really good ideas. We need to get them to the table um, as we move forward, because our inner city, in Temple Bar, an example, is a, mm. a million, you know, a billion, you know, kind of euro economy and thousands of workers who are out right now, we need to start planning for when we come out of the next, you know, lockdown or, or you know, kind of, uh, you know, when we try, try to restart our economy, we need a plan, we need a safe plan. And people have safe plans. And I don't think they're uh, being engaged uh, proactively by the government at the present time. Okay, and in terms of the other healthcare, so obviously you're you're working in infectious diseases, but there are lots of other types of illnesses and conditions, long-term conditions, um, that have all suffered. We know that the cancer rate, uh, the detection of cancer is not what it was, mm. and we're going to see people presenting with later stages of cancer now because they were missed early. Um, have a lot of those health services not resumed at this stage? No, they haven't resumed adequately, and, and I use SDIs as an example as well. You know, mm-hmm. SDIs have not resumed. It's hard to get an SDI appointment, and some of the SDI services have been frozen, and the staff have been relocated to, uh, you know, to COVID preparedness in the community. We need to have a backup plan for COVID preparedness and cross-train these staff, but it's like mm. having an army reserve. You don't put the army reserve uh, sitting at home waiting for the next war. You actually have them training to be prepared and have them do their day job as well. So yeah. no, no, I, 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 we haven't, we haven't, we, we've frozen and we've panicked and I don't think we're, we're planning all of our community services. And I see it day by day. People come into the emergency room at the Matar because something went wrong in the community. And I'm not blaming MD. I just think we need to have a, a comprehensive living with COVID plan that continues to allow us to provide our hospital services and our community medical services because there's non-COVID complications that we're seeing today and we're going to see in six months and, and we have to avoid that. Mm. You've been quite critical, obviously, of the measures um, that have been taken and I suppose of the approach more so than the specific measures. Um, a couple of other uh, fairly senior doctors have also been critical of this. Dr. Martin Feely, who was a clinical director of the Dublin Midlands Hospital mm. Group, I don't know if you know him personally, um, resigned recently after being critical of the restrictions. Has anyone kind of suggested to you that, that it's, you know, it's not the, the position of a HSE doctor to be criticising the HSE or has, has that blown back on you at all? Well, the, the thing is, is that, you know, this is not a matter of criticism. This is a matter of trying to put together the best ideas to get out of this situation. And, and yes, you know, we've done, we, we did, we've done things wrong, but I'm, all, I'm more concerned about proactively what can we do right. Now, I'm not a fan of herd immunity. I mean, the, the, the doll had somebody from Sweden two weeks ago brought out as an expert witness to saying that we should do herd immunity, like take off your mask, let everybody get it, survive with the fittest. I think we're, we're not necessarily getting all the best advice uh, you know, mm. in, in Ireland, that, that, that to me is a bad idea. Why do we even invite somebody like that to come to discuss that with the politicians, you know? So I think we, yes, I think we should be criticizing. Um, but also what I'm trying to come up, do is listen to people, mm. do my homework, look at WHO, look at CDC, look at best guidance, and we should come up with a plan in Ireland. Um, and we sh- everyone, all the best experts in Ireland should be listened to. We should have a, re- a proactive 
plan, not a reactive C103 plan. C103 has been... In- mm-hmm. And the, in terms then of that... Um, of that um, issue with Dr. Feely and with there's been a number of other doctors who have resigned. Just I suppose there's a lot of public health doctors now coming out saying that they need more resources. We know as the media that it's very difficult for anyone in the HSE to speak to us. We've been told this right. a, a numerous times that right. you know I, I'm tweeting about it but I can't talk to you. Um, do you think that that people are listening to the medics on this? Um, you know, I don't know. There's so much there, there's so much fear and misinformation here, there, and everywhere. I think you know, I, I, public health. A lot of the public health people are, m- are my best colleagues. You know, they're really smart people. They are under resourced, but they're not the only go-to people in Ireland. Okay, mm-hmm. we need we need a, we need a, a whole range of experts. You know, a, a, a task force to to deal with all the issues. So I think it's unfair. To, to, to blame public health all the time, um, but also it's unfair to count on them as being the final, the, the final decision makers. You know, I, I, so I think this this is not simple. We need to restructure and reorganise and come up with a you know a, a task force. Like I said, I even said maybe we need a a, a COVID czar, somebody in charge, to bring all of the warring parties together to get us on board all singing from the same hymn book and we're not there but we need to get there. Mm, okay. Dr. Jam- Jack Lambert from The Matter, thank you very much for joining me this morning. Some very interesting points there and a lot to think about. Um, I think people will be will be interested in, in responding to that. If there's anything he said there that you find interesting or that you agree with, do give us a shout. 0833969696 is the text or WhatsApp number. Or of course, you can call us on 1850 uh, Imelda says, can you please say happy 30th wedding anniversary to Imelda and Andy and Cove? Hi, guys. Congratulations. Well done for surviving this long. Um, Kate wonders, should we close the border? Can we have two policies for COVID with an open border? Well, closing the border with the North, Kate, that's a whole other kettle of fish. Maybe I'll ask Pierce Doherty about that later. Um, I wouldn't think it would do um, our relations with uh, the UK or our relations with our, our friends and cousins and colleagues in the North any good um, because, you know, first of all we can't close it because we don't have enough resources this came up during the Brexit negotiations that there aren't enough guards and army people and whatever Um and you know it's not there is no since since the Good Friday Agreement the border itself was dismantled and there's a lot of little tiny roads there that you can just come over and back on so I don't think it would be feasible but I don't know if it would be politically very wise either despite what is going on um, Texter says testing should be carried out at the airport they have it in Malta and I can't understand why our government can't do it doctors and airport police do it in Malta it can't be that hard for government to get it right yeah Jack Lambert just agrees with you Texter um, and certainly it would allow a little bit more um, cheaper is a little bit of hope for people I think if you felt you could book a, a sun holiday for over the Christmas you would be out like a shot if you felt it was going to be safe um, I certainly would anyway Tom says how can we trust the government with positive news or information when we all feel that they are spinning the situation best example the whole Neffet level 5 thing if anyone were to give out the information if anyone is trusted by the public maybe it should be Neffet well, see, Tom, I suppose what Jack Lambert is saying there he said you know maybe public health aren't the only experts we should be listening to on this Um Neffet is an advisory body. They're not in charge. The government is still in charge. Um, And, you know, they have to filter it through what they're hearing from people. And, you know, they people vary in their opinions. But I I mean, I don't envy them trying to deal with it. Mick contacted the show saying he was worried the flu jab would give him COVID. He's wondering, should we get the flu jab or will it make us susceptible to catch COVID? The answers to that are, yes, you should get the flu jab and no, it will not make you susceptible to catching COVID. There's no 
no relationship there at all. Um, Dr. Michael Ryan, another texter says from the World Health Organization, said lockdowns aren't the only answer and aggressive testing and tracing is needed. Why are we not all tested? Why is everyone coming into the country not tested and quarantined until they're known not to have COVID? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, yeah. A really good question. Um, lots more of your comments coming in there. But next, what do you do if a member of your household is what is politely called online these days a COVIDiot? Um, a lady rang us on Friday who was in an office state altogether, to be honest, very upset. She's a son in his 20s who is out a number of nights a week and she's afraid he's going to walk back into the house someday carrying COVID. He's in college, but he's living at home because the college wouldn't let him back for the term. That's pretty standard. It's happening everywhere. And but what is not standard is that his college friends are visiting from all over the country and they're just going partying and staying in each other's houses. They have another child in college who stays up in her college accommodation and is following the rules, but they have a third child at home with them and uh, going to school. So this is two parents. They're not, no, they're not elderly. They're in their kind of 50s and 60s. Um, but one of them has an underlying condition. They have a younger sibling in the house who's in school. So obviously there's a level of risk attached to that. Um, but the mother had to give up her part-time job because she was working with old people and she couldn't truthfully say she was following the rules and safe because she doesn't know what the son is up to. She has told him to move out and he won't go. He has a free ride here. She says you can't talk to him. He thinks it's all a big conspiracy. We are dealing with a person that does just does not believe in it. He brought a friend from Dublin, brought him into the house. I hate to be rude, she told me, but I lo- told him to leave. And the two of them just laughed at me. It's just a nightmare and I wish he was gone away to college. Love to hear from you if you're in that situation or you know somebody else who is or what you think this lady should do. She was asking for people's advice. 1850-715-996 if you think you can give her a bit of advice. And I'll be speaking to Catherine Hallisey, psychologist, about this in just a moment. So stay tuned for that. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With a solid fuel depot. Now located at the Junction Supermarket Vickers Road. Coal, gas, kiln dried wood and briquettes. For collection or delivery. Solidfueldepot.ie You guys ready? We're driving, we're driving drive home weekdays from four on Cork's 96FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. Make sure to join me weekdays on the big drive home where there's always the celebrity stopping by and they even leave a review of their time on the show. Here's what Gavin James said. Oh, it was amazing. It was deadly. It was just like everybody looks like Instagram. It was insane. And Shane Casey. I definitely found that day very emotional and it was very, it almost felt spiritual. And Greg O'Shea. Oh, I actually really enjoyed it. For the biggest celebrity interviews and the best music makes. I'll catch you weekdays from four. The Big Drive Home with Ford Lease takes the hassle out of vehicle leasing. If you're a business it's easy to budget with no unforeseen costs. Quartz 96 FM This is Quartz Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Text or WhatsApp now 083 396 9696 on Quartz 96 FM Somebody has gone there. One second. We'll see about that. Hello, Catherine. Hi there. Hi, you got it right this time. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. Catherine, you have that email. The lady who, who rang in, she sent us an email as well and I sent that on to you. So I, I outlined the details for people listening just there before the break. What are your thoughts on this? Oh my goodness. Ever since you sent this to me last week, I've been thinking about it all weekend. There were just so many aspects of this that are worrying. You know, I, I was really struck by the age of this man. Mm. Like he's, he's an adult. He's 26. 
Yeah. So I suppose the first thing to say to anybody listening at home is that as an adult, it is a privilege and not a right to live in the family home. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's the most important thing to get across. So whatever actions these parents take are warranted. You know, like this, this young man is showing a lack of respect, lack of compassion, lack of consideration. You know, and I think part of the deal of living with anyone, whether you're living with your parents or, or housemates, is that your behaviour must not overly impact on others. Mm-hmm. And this man's is, regardless of the fact that he's not paying his way. Yeah, you know, it's so. just, he seems to be acting like kind of a teenager. Um, but obviously yeah. with a lot of the, you know, legally he can kind of go and do what he wants and he's he can drink and, he, you know, whatever. Although these days with all the pubs closed, mostly you don't know if that makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. But he's 26, like he's not a child. Initially when, when the, I was speaking to this lady, I was saying, you know, is he 16, 17? Obviously there's issues there that you can't um, put a 16 mm-hmm. or 17-year-old out, out on the footpath. Um, literally everyone who was replied, I put this on my Shock's Facebook page before the weekend, everyone who was replied almost is saying, get rid of him, get him out. Mm. From your and point I of actually, view, is that a runner? I did the same thing. I suppose what I'm, what is coming across to me is there feels like an undercurrent of power and control here. Mm. And I'd be concerned about, um, I'd be really curious about what else is going on. This kind of thing generally doesn't happen out of the blue. So regardless of his personal beliefs, um, you know, like he's entitled to believe what he wants to believe about this, but it's actually the way he has treated his parents is making me query is there bullying going on here? What else is actually going on? Mm. Because he is entitled to believe what he wants to about COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, that look, that's a given. So, um, but it's, it's actually to be laughing at his mother and um, even if he doesn't believe he's putting his father at risk, his father believes it. So his compassion for his father should be changing his behaviour, not his beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he so just doesn't seem to have any empathy for, for, for his parents' fears at all. No. And, you know, you can totally, I think it's really important to totally separate his beliefs from his lack of compassion for his parents. Mm. Yes, that's a very good point. Now, Catherine, can I hold on to you because I have to take a quick sure. break. I'd say we're going to get caught by the news, but I want to come back to this because I think a lot of people are going to want to, to weigh in on it. Um, so stay with me there, Catherine. So what do you think? It, he's in his 20s. His parents are, well, one of his parents certainly is vulnerable. Um, he's treating the house as if, you know, he, he kind of has, has every right to be there. When, as Catherine says, it's a privilege and not a right to be still living in your family home as an adult. If you've been in this situation or something similar with an adult child who is taking you for granted, can you just make them leave? Like people are saying, oh, kick him out. Well, the dad obviously isn't well. He, he's physically not going to be able to pick the lad up and turf him out on his ear. Like if if you don't have that sort of physical ability to, to intimidate someone, it's not as simple as that. Um, how how did you cope with that if, if you've been in that situation? I know previously we've had listeners in, in a similar boat. Stay with me and, and come back to us. 83 the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM.
And if you haven't been listening in in our first hour, it's Deirdre here with you for today's opinion line. I've been speaking to Catherine Hallisey, who's a psychologist specialising in children and family relationships. And we've been talking about a call we received last week from a lady who was at her wit's end. Her son in his 20s doesn't believe in coronavirus. That's fine. That's his own business, except for that he's living in the home with his parents and with a sibling. And one of his parents is medically vulnerable. The other has had to give up her part-time job with older people because of his activities outside of the home. He has brought friends to the house. He has been off out for the weekends partying with friends and he just is not listening to anything that she says. So Catherine Hallisey has been giving us a little bit of advice on this and I'd be interested in hearing from you if you are in a similar situation or you have been in a similar situation, what your advice to that lady would be? Should should they kick him out? Should they try and speak to him? Is there another way of dealing with it? Catherine, you were saying just before we went to the news, thank you for hanging on, that... Um, you you feel that the, the the beliefs that he has about COVID are one thing, but his relationship with his parents is is a separate thing. Yeah, I'm just really curious about why he why he's not impacted by his parents' obvious fear. So what usually happens within us, you know, if we have good relationships, is that if people around us are scared, we we normally modify our behaviour regardless of what we think ourselves. Mm. So even if he's not afraid of COVID, even if he thinks it's all a hoax, the fact is that his parents are afraid and his father in particular is medically vulnerable. So then that that hasn't changed his his behaviour. In fact, he appears to be laughing at it. I'm just really curious about how has this happened? When when did this type of thing come about? Like it, it seems like it has come to light now, but I'd be really curious about what has been happening the last few years. Yeah. What what has brought them to this point? Yeah. You know, and um I put this up on my Facebook page also and you know, everybody is saying the same thing that he needs to go out. And lots of people are querying is is this bullying that this is coming across like bullying and I too mm. be wondering about bullying. Yeah, it does sound like it. It does. You mentioned before the break as well about, you know, the fact that they can't physically force them. And this is one of the reasons that I recommend that we do not parent through fear or force. Yeah. Because there comes a point where we don't have those tools available to us. Yeah. You know, it's um, it it simply doesn't work. It's not a long term solution. And so I'm just really curious what's going on in the relationship here in terms of what this mum should do. Well, I think she really does need to get legal advice. Mm. You think this is, is you know, a lot of people were suggesting things like a barring order and I don't know what the situation there would be because, I mean, we've had pe- plenty of people on the show who have had domestic violence issues, with, oftentimes mm. with their children rather than necessarily with, yeah. with partners. So this, if, if, if she had rang in with this story in non-COVID times and it was that he was actually being physically hurtful or, or threatening them or anything like that, I would have said, yeah, go, go to the guards, get a barring order. But having said that, I know that we've had people who have told us they've got a bearing order and it doesn't do anything. Yeah, so that's why I think she really needs to get legal advice to see what is the procedure with regards to changing the lock. Now, this is kind of my crisis management. So I'm always thinking about, okay, what's the crisis management stuff? And then what's the longer term stuff? So I'll talk about crisis management first. Mm. So I think um, there were a number of options available. You know, people are saying pack up his stuff and put it out. You know, but again, these are very, very big acts. Mm. And it already feels like he is dominating the home. Yeah, it does. 
Very so much we, so. You know, so this family needs to minimise risk. Mm-hmm. In addition to protecting, hopefully, a future relationship with their with their child, their adult child, so I think they need to get legal advice. Is what's the position with changing locks? Who else can support them in this? And um, you know, to see. So that's one part of it. The second part, I think, seeing how this has come about in his thinking. You know, polarization is really, really dominating our culture right mm. now. We're seeing it right across the world. And the tendency, when we have polarised views, you know, COVID is a perfect example. You know, people are either in one camp or the other. And it's very, very hard to understand one another's viewpoints. You know, so I would highly recommend that everybody watch The Social Dilemma Mm -hmm. to see how polarisation of viewpoints can come about. And when a loved one has these views that you can't abide by or even that you abhor, what usually happens is that we give in to our desire to either mock the views or really, really contradict them. But we know from psychological studies that this actually is really counterproductive. Okay. So, you know, the first step is definitely don't mock. You, you know, presenting facts doesn't actually work, even though we really think, oh, if I just give the right facts, my loved one will be able to see sense. Mm-hmm. But what actually happens is they're pushed further and further and further away. What is really helpful is actually to steer conversations towards shared experiences, positive shared experiences, positive memories, and actually take a relational approach when your loved one has these kinds of views, really trying to find that common ground. It will help you. But it will also help them. You know, we're we're more than just our beliefs on one thing. Okay, it's a global pandemic, but we're still more than our beliefs on that. Mm. I suppose we've we've a lot of. I suppose every society has a lot of experience of these kind of um, beliefs tearing a family apart to greater or lesser degrees. Lots of people will know that their grandparents or whoever fell out over the civil war. But in more recent times, I suppose if you go back to particularly the repeal referendum, um, there were real divisions within families about that. And I remember talking to people, um, you know, young women say my age, who were personally very hurt and upset that Mm. their families were voting no because they felt that you know it was it was almost a direct um contradiction of their own their own kind of situation in life and their own position and with something like this you know you're saying it's very interesting that you say that facts don't work so no matter you can't rationalize somebody out of this can you not not really you know something that you can do is having gentle private dialogue so you see a lot of this stuff blowing up on social media mm. between friends between family members and that's giving in to the, our own temptations so if you have had any inflammatory conversations online delete them and just try and have some gentle private conversations where you're encouraging doubts but not arguing facts because even all of us, you know, even if we really believe something, we can still have some doubts. Mm. So what we're trying to do is just open up a little bit of space. Now, I know I've kind of gone into the general here, but I think for, for these parents, obviously, they want their son in their lives and they want him in their lives in a healthy way. Mm. So there's a lot of stuff here around boundaries. I felt a sense of fear coming across in the email. Yeah. You know, so that's something that really needs to be addressed. So who else can support this family? Can they get legal advice? 
And really, at 26, he needs to be gone from the house. I don't think it works having adult children in the house. Of course, there are some exceptions, Mm. but for most people, it isn't healthy. And, you know, you've got all sorts of power and control and rights and responsibilities and all those kinds of things. So, like, it's, I think it's really, really, really tough, you know. And Mm. um, I used the term conspiracy theory on my Facebook page today and somebody has, you know, really rounded on it, saying that as a psychologist, I should know better than using that term. And that's an example of, like I I said, I'm using this term in the factual dictionary context, but I was using facts to argue something, Mm. you know, and and this person wasn't able to accept that that's how I was using it. Right. So it's just everything is a loaded um, term at this stage when we're talking about this stuff, really, isn't it? Yeah, so that's where arguing facts doesn't work. I was saying, you know, to this person, look, it's your choice to interpret that I was using this in a derogatory capacity, Mm -hmm. but that's not the actual fact or reality. Yeah. You know, so arguing facts doesn't work. So, I heard from somebody else, Catherine. Sorry, since, sorry for mm-hmm. cutting you off there. Since I since I posted this on Facebook the other day, who told me about a similar but actually probably worse situation, where this person has siblings, adult siblings who live at home, um, and it's interesting that you say about adults um, living in the home not necessarily being a good thing. Um, I, I we talk, we've actually myself and PJ slag each other about this all the time because I'm from the country. Country people don't tend to live at home with their parents for very long. If you go to college, that's it. You're gone at seventeen. Mm. Um, or 18 or whatever it is whereas in Cork people tend to stay, live at home for college and then just sort of stay there <laughs> seems to me anyway um, so there seems to be a bit of a cultural difference there um, and I do often wonder like I've lived at home with my parents from time to time for defined periods over a summer while I was waiting for a new house or something like that um, and I have we've always all found it very difficult even though we get on great um, but going back to this lady who contacted me she she told me she has adult siblings living at home who are living at home with very elderly parents now at this stage. It's a large family. And these two siblings are very much to the fore of, say, the protests and the anti-mask end of things. Um, and it's a dreadful situation. The rest of the family are all torn apart about it. Everybody is very worried about the parents and about what they might be bringing home, except for them. And the parents will not discuss it. You know, it's really, really challenging and we need to even ex- examine our language. Like the term anti-masker is really polarizing. Mm. So I think we all have responsibility to think about our language and that we don't use expressions or words that actually push people further down a rabbit hole. Yeah. Again, so keep trying to bring it back to shared experiences, shared shared values. So like the shared value is keeping their parents safe protecting yeah. their parents and say, look, how can we do it? And psychological safety is actually one of those things. And saying, look, you know, it, I know you don't believe in this stuff, but mum and dad do. And what what that does then is they're afraid. And I don't want them to live in fear. Look, how can we make this work? Yeah. So you're you're shifting away from using facts and argument and finding common ground. You know, so how how can we how can we come together on this? and say, look, it's okay that you believe that and it's okay that I believe something different. But our common goal is protecting mom and dad. Yeah. You know, so really just try and dial down the emotional reactivity. You know, like this kind of stuff drives us all mad on both sides. 
you know, so it's, I think um, there were so many families and I had actually forgotten um, the polarisation during the repeal time mm. as well, you know, and when any of us who have friends in the States can see it happening as well over there, like polarisation is really, really dominating our culture right now. And we just need to keep bringing it back to common ground, focusing on relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, for the for the original mum who contacted you, I think another strategy is actually making home very uncomfortable as well for this young man. So making sure that he's not getting his meals served to him, he's not getting anything done for him like washing or anything, even simple things like making sure that there's no Wi-Fi, um, even cancelling anything that's coming in, you know, whether it's Netflix or mm. any channels, um, you know, even making sure the heating is turned off, anything that you can do to make home less comfortable. And what you were saying about the, the country and the city, mm. look, let's face it, rent is really, really high in Cork. Yeah. So there are, there are practical reasons why people in the city live at home for longer. Mm. Oh, there are, of and course, there are. But it, it, it amazes me that people actually can live with it. <laughs> That's actually the bit that gets me that even yeah. when it's not a financial thing, I know plenty of people who, who just live at home in their 20s and even their 30s, um, mm. not for financial reasons, just because it suits everyone. I like, yeah. I love my parents. We're actually very close. I'm an only child. We're very close. But I don't think I could still live with them as an adult. <laughs> And it's not fair in them, you know, they need time and space, like everybody needs time and space. Mm. I don't think anybody signs up to have their adult children living with them forever. And we do it, we we often do these things through inertia. It's easier to stay than to find somewhere and move out. Even for parents, there are benefits to having adult children living at home. You know, so everybody is benefiting in some way. Mm -hmm. However, just long term, it isn't the healthiest thing. Yeah, so, yeah. so like begin with the end in mind if you want a healthy relationship with your adult children they actually do need to move out they need to develop those skills the autonomy and you know there's a, a maturity that comes from living out and look what I'm saying is different to an adult child who chooses to stay at home to, to care for a parent yeah, of course. that's very very very, very different scenario. and brings its own challenges So I'm not making judgments on families where this is working. I'm just talking about in generalities, it it brings a lot of challenges. And this is just a really good example where because this family, they're still in an adult-child relationship, this adult man of 26 is behaving like a child, where it's like a teenager's wishes dominating the parents rather than them being on an equal footing within the home. Yeah. And Morris says, I think Morris has a has a good point here. Morris says, I think you need to accept that no matter how good you are to your kids and what right things you do to bring them up, sometimes you will get a bad one. I think if this kid were in his teens, I might be less inclined to say that. You have to protect yourself at a certain stage against a bad actor. Um, you said something earlier, Catherine, that I think maybe ties in a little bit with that, um, that, you know, if you parent your kids, and I'm not suggesting for one minute this couple did, by the way, um, but the idea that people are saying about, oh, you know, throw them out on the street and kick them out and they all imply this level of physical intimidation over your children and like, mm. look, as I'm a parent of two small boys, I can just about still lift them and physically dominate them. Only just, like, and the older one is four. Like, that, mm. I'm not going to have that in my toolbox for like probably another year where I can actually lift them up and put them to bed if they're not going to bed. That That's going to be gone very, very soon. So, when, when, like, when if you're a parent of a small child listening to this discussion and you're going, oh my God, I can't imagine my child ever doing that to me, whatever. Um, 
that kind of idea of not parenting through kind of um, physical dominance, like what little things should you be putting in place when they're very young to try and establish that they, they do have empathy with you and they do have compassion in the relationship? I talk about this pretty much every single week on my free parent talks on Facebook Live. I do them on a Tuesday at 8 o'clock for anyone who wants to tune in. You just write in a question and I'll answer it. But it's my whole approach to parenting and discipline in particular is discipline means to teach. It doesn't mean to punish. Mm. It means to actually teach, to identify what's going on here that a child is acting in this way. So it's high structure, high nurture approach. So connection and relationship is always your first protocol. It's why I'm talking about the shared experiences and memories. You're going with relationship first and then you're thinking, okay, my child is showing me with their words or their behaviour that they are not able to do this right now. Mm -hmm. How can I support them to develop these skills? And I'm actually doing a masterclass on effective discipline tonight inside my parenting membership um, uh, specifically on this because it comes up all of the time. And parenting through fear and force doesn't work. Mm. It works for a time, depending on what you mean by working. But I have five kids. My eldest is 10 and she's actually just um, one inch shorter than me. Mm -hmm. So there is no way for me to parent through fear and force. So I have had to research what is the most effective way. And it's this high structure, high nurture, where you have a small number of unbreakable rules that you're willing to follow through on. And then all the rest of your time is spent around creating a culture of respect, cooperation. And through this, you can help your children want to behave. You -hmm. can help your children want to help out around the house. You know, our natural state is actually cooperation because as mammals, we do better when we cooperate. So then it's about figuring out what's going on here that my child isn't in this natural state. What do I need to address? What so what routines do I need to put in place? All of those kinds of things. So, you know, while it may be quicker in the short term to parent through fear and force, it's not more effective in the long run. Mm-hmm. So with the high structure, high nurture approach, you are putting in more time in the beginning, but then it becomes a bit more self-sustaining. And just to say, any of us can get into the point with our teenage children or adult children where we can actually be in this position that this family is in. Yeah. It's not, I don't think it's necessarily anything that these parents have done wrong. And I also don't think that this young man is a bad actor. I think a number of circumstances have combined. We have polarisation on social media. Watch the social dilemma. Anybody who thinks this won't come to your door, Watch the social dilemma and mm-hmm. see how this can happen. You know, and and um, you know, some some people on my own Facebook page were really taking a very compassionate approach to this, saying, "What has gone on for this young man that has brought him to this point?" Yeah, you know, what is it? Is he that he's not able to face what's going on in our world? And lots of people aren't. And then he has chosen to go down this rabbit hole of laughing, you know, whether it's a defense mechanism or whatever. Is this his way of coping? What other skills does he need? Mm. You know, so there's I think there's a lot of complexity to this that we don't know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks a million, Catherine. Um, and Tuesday so at welcome. 8 on your Facebook page, Catherine Hallisey, psychologist, um, for any more tips on that, because I think there will be a lot of people listening at home who can relate to some on some level to this. We have had calls of this nature and of much more distressing nature, actually, over the years um, of, you know, physical abuse by children and of children. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And just ruling the roost, teenagers particularly. But Catherine reckons legal advice and the advice of people suggesting maybe things like a barring order obviously might be the way to go. And that's a really sad place to be. Um, to the lady who, who called, I'd love to hear back from you if you're listening, what you think about that. Um, you can text in or you can give a ring to the lads, to Fergal and Docker in the back room today, 1850 if you do want to call back and uh, let us know how how all of this is sounding to you. Uh, Sonia's on the line about this. Sonia says she has been in the, a similar position to this. She wants to solve the problem that she's in. She doesn't want to lose um, lose her relationship with her son um, and Sonia has some some advice and some suggestions as well. If you do too, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM With the indoor self-service laundrette, now at the Junction Supermarket Vickers Road. Every day washing and drying, done within an hour. Selfservicelaundry.ie Girlfriend and boyfriend. Girlfriend has said to boyfriend previously, what would you like for your birthday? And he said he wanted a PlayStation 5. The day has arrived. He walks into the kitchen, sits at the table where the PlayStation 5 is wrapped in paper. His palms are sweaty, knees weak. Arms are heavy. The whole family are gathered around the table. Everyone's got phones out. He rips them open. So the PlayStation 3 and the PlayStation 2. <laughs> Set the tape together. Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool. Celebrating the arrival of the new Skoda Octavia. Book your test drive now at noeldc.com. Exclusively Skoda in Cork City. Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 9696. On Cork's 96 FM. Sonia, good morning. Hello. How are you doing? What are your thoughts on this one? Well, like. I kind of feel that um, any parent loves their kids, no matter what they've done. And throwing your child out, like a lot of people were talking about. I mean, we've all come close to it, those of us with adult children. (laughs) Um, 
we took in a friend of my daughter's at one point who was thrown out by her family and that taught me a lot. Mm. Um, I just feel that it would create more aggro, more stress. I mean, if the dad's not well, the last thing he needs is more stress. Yeah. Um, and I also feel that... Um, I mean, I have been in the this, this situation, not as serious at all, but where my kids have driven me to distraction, but it's been more about my own personal feelings. You, mm. you kind of, you'll have arguments with your kids as they're growing up, and then it kind of turns into something else, it turns into something else. But eventually, through love and, and I don't know, through normality, things sort themselves out. Yeah. But if you chuck a child out, you're... you're you're cutting that line off. Yeah. There's no coming back from that really is what you're saying. No. Yeah, no. that was kind of I my mean, feeling on it as well. Like, so you've kind of been in, not quite in this situation, obviously COVID wasn't the, the, yeah. the root of it. But I mean, I know there are a lot of people who have had, you know, um, young people who are maybe taking drugs or who are out all night and all that kind of stuff and that it causes a lot of hassle in the family home and I don't know what your own situation was but do you think, was it just kind of keeping keeping talking open or did you have to kind of put the foot down at any point? Well yeah, my kids have been great I have to say that um, To in our situation was more that I was going through a divorce and mm-hmm. wasn't coping myself Yeah and the kids were having to cope with that as well, you know. Yeah, and that's and, very difficult. Um, so everybody's behaviour was less than pleasant. Um, but we got through it by, yeah, by keeping avenues open, I guess. I mean, I have a close relationship, I would like to say. <laughs> they may not agree but with my kids now. I still have one of them living at home. Yeah. Um, the older one, <laughs> he's 24. Um, and the younger one moved out, but moved out in the right sort of way, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, and he's he's living his life, but he comes back. And, you know, both kids come back when they have a problem. But if I were to say something or give yeah. my opinion, it won't be right, even now. Yeah. Yeah, and I so think... So pushing an opinion... Yeah. ...doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah, as you say, yeah. you said in your message, nobody listens to their mum. <laughs> that no, is exactly. true. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. I should, yeah, I'm. Uh, I talked to my mum about this situation as well, and we had different opinions as well. So. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and that's me as a fifty-six-year-old woman. Yeah, and yeah. like, yeah, me. I'm the same with mine. You know, we get on great, but uh, but black could be white, and one of us would be on one side, and the other would be on the other side. Um, yeah, but it comes down to like, as we're adults, we learn to respect, I suppose, yeah. or let things go. Um, but as your kid is growing up in your house as well, I don't know. Things. Uh, Catherine said something. She used the word inertia, and I think that's a very common thing as well. You kind of. I don't know. It's really hard as a parent to realise your kids have grown up too, yeah. and it's very hard for the kids to try and grow up and be adults when they are still living in their childhood. Yeah, situation. absolutely. That's very true. One of the things actually that the lady mentioned in her call, which I thought was really revealing, was she said, um, oh, the worst thing was that the government said at the beginning, you know, the kids wouldn't get it. And I kind of had to remind her, he's not a kid. 
He's not a kid, exactly. You know, and um, young adults do get, now kids and teenagers and young adults do get it to varying degrees, but we have seen certainly in recent weeks that young fella in Dublin, was he 19 and he was hospitalised and had to relearn to walk and everything um, Mm. with no previous issues. So young adults certainly do get it. Um, But yeah, I thought it was really revealing though. She was still treating him like a kid and he's obviously not a kid. Sonia, thanks for the call and I hope things continue to to go well for you. Um, Siobhan is on the about this as well. Hi Siobhan. Hi Deirdre, how are you? I'm not too bad. You were thinking about this one as well. I was indeed, yeah. And like everybody, I think the the, the first reaction is there, there is bullying involved and the first reaction is pack his bags, throw them out. Yeah. But of course, that's not the easiest thing to do. Um, she's obviously a very caring person. Um, she doesn't want to lose a relationship with her son. But what would bother me is um, just, I think Catherine gave her very sensible advice, but I do think she will need ongoing support. You know, even if she goes to a solicitor, um, I think she needs maybe a counsellor as well, because sometimes I think if if she's in a situation like that, where she's a mum and she's looking after, she has three children there, I think you said, and I think that becomes, it it almost, it would dominate her life, do you know what I mean? And I think she needs to step back and just think of herself as well. So I think she would need to see maybe, uh, have counselling of some kind. When I say counselling, I mean support, you know, supportive counselling, get her to sort of, you know, to try and visualise a, a different path for herself. The other thing that bothered me as well was if her son is partying, with his friends. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there are other households involved as well of who are affected by this. And the younger sibling, if there's a younger sibling at home, I mean, what effect is it having on them? Yeah. Um, because that could very often, I think, be completely overlooked. Um, you know, say if the quieter child is at home, maybe maybe the child isn't quiet, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And they're at home, they're studying maybe for leaving cert or whatever. And I mean, it's going to have a, a knock-on effect on them. Um, again, as Catherine said, it, it doesn't mean that it's bad parenting or anything like that. It's just a situation that arisen, has arisen. But um, they also, I think they really need to look at the dynamic, you know, where, what exactly happened here, or how, you know, h- how come he's ended up in such a dominant position, yeah. really dominating the whole household. But I, I would worry about, the, about herself. Yeah. I think she just needs a lot of support there just to get her head around it. Probably not the only lady in the place, or a parent yeah. of any kind, or maybe even children may may even have it if they have, you know, say, adult relatives living with them. You just don't know. You know, I think there are a lot of people out there who are affected, and they, I don't know whether there is an organisation or even how they go about accessing it. I think this is a whole new dynamic mm. that we're all looking at now, you know. Yeah, Siobhan, some really sensible points there. Thank you for that. Very, very good point about the lady needing support. And she's actually texted us back in. She says, hi again. Uh, thanks, Siobhan. This is the lady that rang you on Friday about the 26-year-old son. He is not physically violent towards us, never. He just does what he wants. He's a nice lad to everyone, but he uses us. And I think, um, I don't know your, your name, I'll just call you Mary, but Mary... The, the the overwhelming consensus here from everyone, including Catherine Hallisey, the psychologist that we contacted, is that he needs to be out of the house. So you need to talk to 
potentially the local guards or potentially a solicitor even. I don't think legally there's any, you have any obligation towards him really um, about how maybe best to even do that. Um, and if he's not violent or anything like that, then, you know, I suppose you're not in fear of that, but um, in fear of a tantrum certainly or, or a bad reaction. But maybe that's what needs to happen. But just make sure that you have friends you can talk to or other family you can talk to about it because it sounds like you're very worried and you're very upset um, and it couldn't be nice feeling that he, he is so lacking in empathy towards you. Um, maybe he just needs a wake-up call, as some people are saying. Jer says he needs a wake-up call. Tilly said, how selfish could you be? My heart is broken for his parents for the fact they have a son with absolutely no compassion or appreciation for his parents and the fact they live in fear and he doesn't care, especially when his father has an underlying health condition. I'd pack his bags and peg him out the door. Little boy needs to grow up and get a grip. He's definitely enemy number one in Cork this morning. Tilly has really taken on your, your cause here, Mary. Um, Susan says, good morning to those parents should wait until he goes out and get the locks changed. If he throws a fish when he gets home, then have him arrested. That's Susan listening from Spain. Gary says, gee, who runs the house? The parents or the kid? I think the parents can't seem to cut their apron strings, so he's milking it for all he's worth. He's not impacted because he doesn't care. He's a 26-year-old student. Bernie says you need a barring order. Kev on Twitter says you'd love to see his social media pages. I bet you a pound to a penny. His timeline and Facebook feed is wall-to-wall conspiracy theories. I've seen documentaries about how reasonable adults get hooked into these militant beliefs. Yeah, and Catherine mentioned the social dilemma I think she called it and that sounds like it would be worth a watch um, for a lot of people who are in the situation as I say other people contacted me in similar situations but actually more extreme if anything now we are running a little bit over time with today's show so uh, up next I'm going to be talking to Piers Doherty from Sinn Féin in relation to the budget and what's happening with that of course um, budget day this week and lots of kites being flown in the papers this morning about things that are and are not happening and um, it sounds like they're they're going to spend, spend, spend our way out of this which I think is a lot of people's agreed solution but I think maybe Sinn Féin disagree with where that spending is going let's see what they have to say 1850 is the number to call Hi Casey here as you know Cork has a host of local and world-class brands and it's a super city for shopping. Right now, we're asking you once again to make every effort to shop locally. We'd be delighted if you could do your shopping right here in Cork. Because a thriving local economy is good for everyone. Shop locally and you'll save time, you'll save money and you'll save local jobs. Supported by McCarthy Insurance Group, where you can shop local for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Support your own right now and thank you from all of us at Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96 FM. The good news on the budget appears to be that the tax take is better than predicted at the beginning of the pandemic, and it also seems like the government is not afraid to borrow to keep things going for the foreseeable. There are a lot of different interest groups crying out for help this year. Of course, in ordinary times, there would always be demands from different industries, carers, from parents of children with special needs, from students. How on earth, you would ask then, is the government going to keep everyone afloat this year? One industry that has been probably the hardest hit by the pandemic is hospitality, and I hope to catch up with Erin Mansworth from the IHF a little 
bit later uh, to talk about what they're looking for. It does seem that there's going to be a suite of measures in the budget directly aimed at the likes of the hotels and the entertainment industry. Um, but looking at what's in the papers for the budget this morning, you know, they're talking about uh, 700 million for social affordable housing, their commitments for carers, extra home help hours, social housing, health, retrofitting, changes to the pop payment so that the self-employed can keep their businesses running um, while they while they claim the payment. That's a huge game changer for a lot of people in kind of gig jobs like photographers and um, singers and things like that. Um, they're also saying that although there will be carbon tax on car, uh, petrol and diesel, there won't be a carbon tax increase on home heating oil, which is something that people would uh, have been a little bit afraid of. So I suppose the question is, um, how would Sinn Féin do it differently? Piers Doherty from Sinn Féin, good morning. Good morning to you. How are you? I'm not too bad at all. I'm looking at this package of measures and, or, well, or what's being floated as this packet of, packet of measures that we're going to see this week. What, what, what can you see that's wrong with it, Pierce Doherty? It does seem like they, they've tried to give something to everybody. Yeah, well, it's 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 not about giving somebody something to everybody at this point in time. The the state is facing um, major major challenges in terms of COVID nineteen. Uh, individuals have seen their incomes drop. We see the the cuts that they've made to the pandemic unemployment payment, um, and they need to be reversed in my view. And we're not hearing anything mm. above that. Uh, going back up to the three hundred and fifty euro level and making sure that the other cuts that they plan to that. Uh, to that payment in the 1st of February don't proceed. Uh, we do need to support employers. We need to make sure we need to give people as much certainty as we can. Now we can't give people uh, complete certainty that their job will be there if there's new restrictions imposed but what we can give certainty to is that they, 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 the government will do everything in it they can to support employment uh, and unfortunately they're going in the wrong direction. Again they have cut the temporary wage subsidy scheme the supports are now half what they were uh, under the old scheme. Indeed, low-paid workers, people who earn below €151.50, and 50 cent, uh, that's 153,000 workers. They're locked out of the scheme. Their employer gets no support whatsoever. Uh, and this is resulting into difficult decisions by employers to, to lay people off. So we need, to re- we need to make sure that adequate supports are there. There are other things we can do as well, and we hear from the IMF and the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council that 2021 is the year that we need to stimulate the economy mm. to try and get people back out working and take create activity within the economy. So we need to see, uh, and what Sinn Féin would do is the biggest uh, house building programme in the history of the state, delivering 20,000 social, affordable and cost rental units. We'd reduce rents and freeze them for a period of three years to those houses, that those numbers start then coming on stream that will create the additional capacity. Uh, and there's we need to also reduce the cost of living for people. We can start by reducing the cost of childcare by a third this year uh, coming, and then another third the following year but that requires ambition it requires putting the interests of ordinary people first um, and look I've seen the plenty It requires a lot of tax coming into the system that might that isn't necessarily coming in at the moment well, look, the way, I, the way I look at it like this, if there is a company in Cork or in Donegal and say that it's got 40 employees working for it, to be able to provide the additional support, like the rates waiver, like the additional grants, like the supports for, uh, for, for employment wage subsidy schemes, to do that, to keep that company afloat, to save those 40 jobs, is the is the wise thing to do mm. because if those jobs are lost you're losing all of the tax revenue you're losing the VAT the corporation tax you're losing the income tax and what you've got then 
there's 40 people uh, on social welfare payments that cost uh, the, the state, uh, both in direct payments mm. and then in terms of secondary benefits. So, of course, it's wise to support employees and employers at this, po- this point in time. Uh, and, you know, what, what, what we are being asked to do, by a, again, by the likes of the IMF and IFAC, is to borrow money to invest in the economy and to stimulate the economy, particularly in terms of one-off supports. Uh, our budgetary package is about €6 billion Euro more spending than what the government had planned. Now, mm. we expect the government are going, to, are, are going to now change strategy from what they published uh, a couple of weeks ago, and they're going to spend quite an additional yeah, uh, it does seem like that. extra. Mm. Um, but it needs to be spent in the right in the right areas. So I suppose, given given the list of things they have said they would do, what would you take away from that? I mean, if you if you if you would spend the money on house building and on supporting those jobs, then would you not give the extra home help hours? No, we we have factored in the home help hours. It, my concern here is it's not that uh, we will do too much; it's that we will do too little. Now we have to wait until tomorrow to see what the budgetary package is. But again, from the inklings that we're hearing on the media leaks, and remember they're usually leaked by the government mm-hmm. and, and spun by the government, it, it doesn't appear that the quantum of support is sufficient. But tomorrow will tell because it's only when you get the actual budget docu- document book uh, that 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 will see the detail. So we're hearing, for example, that there's supposed to be a stimulus package, but none of it will be allocated. That's not a stimulus package. That's a contingency package. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not that that's completely different. And again, this is a government that's very good at spin, uh, you know, and what we really need now is substance. We need to give people certainty. We need to give employers certainty uh, that, that and, and we need to deal with some of the major challenges that are, that are there. Some of this, some issues cost the government no money. Uh, you know, a rent freeze is something that doesn't cost any money. We should have had. Well, uh, who, who, who is the rent being paid to? Surely those people will go out of business. Yeah, well, just let's be clear in relation to what we're suggesting in terms of freezing rent. So we have two proposals in terms of our alternative budget. Uh, one is we would reduce rent uh, by, by taking in a tax credit, which would put a one-month rent back into your pocket. We used to have a tax credit from the 1980s right up until about four years ago for mm-hmm. renters, uh, and it's been phased out since, so it doesn't exist anymore. So we would reintroduce that, which would reduce your rent by one month. What we would do then is freeze them. So it doesn't mean to say that you don't pay any rent. It just means that you pay it at that that level. You pay it at the current levels with the state putting one month back into your pocket. So it's not as if landlords have no income. They do have income. But the second point I was going to suggest here, and this is in relation to commercial rents, where businesses are finding it very difficult to pay their landlord because either they're closed down or they're operating at slower capacity. What should have happened here, Deirdre, is that when the government sat down with the five banks, two of them which we own, they should have allowed for the mortgage and uh, holiday to be extended for another six months. That's mm. what happens in other jurisdictions in Italy and Spain and places like that there in Germany. Uh, but our government actually played uh, and allowed that to happen. Again, a measure that wouldn't have cost the state any money, a measure that would have supported people who have got mortgages and uh, businesses who have to pay uh, commercial rent. Uh, because the la- it's the landlords who benefit from that. It's the landlords then that you don't have to uh, pay the pay the mortgage over yeah. the next six months, and therefore they can pass that on to the the pub or the restaurant that's closed in Cork or Donegal or Dublin, yeah. uh, and and give them that little bit of break because it's in their interest that they still have a tenant when the of restrictions course. are opened. Yeah, and I'm hearing certainly anecdotally that some landlords are not taking that view that they're just um, demanding rent from businesses that will never be able to repay it. Um, one last question for you, Pierce. I know you, we're a bit off for time now, but. 
the um, the issue of the explosion of cases in the north and the level of, of COVID cases they have up there is, is very worrying. We had a texter earlier suggest that we should close the border. Uh, I'd imagine Sinn Féin wouldn't be in favour of that kind of an approach. No, I, look, I, I think they, I, I don't think that's the kind of type of right approach. And I, I know, you know, like we're, we're seeing very worrying cases in, in, in Cork um, in, in the last number of days as well. Well, Cork people will be quite happy to close the boards with the rest of you, just to I be clear. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I don't know, but I'm saying hopefully we'll get that under control. But I don't think it's the dairy ones or the Belfast ones that's caused the problem there. Mm. So the issue, the issue here is, there, you know, and as a, as a Republican or somebody who wants to see United Ireland, I am very clear. People should not be, tra- be crossing the border. People should be remaining in their own county. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if it's from Donegal to Leitrim or Donegal to Derry. Uh, the, the restrictions are you should not leave your own county bar for essential travel. Yeah. We have to do a lot, lot more. The northwest, in particular, it's not right across the north, but it's it's it, the, the rest is creeping up. But the northwest, Donegal, Derry, Strabane area have got a high level of cases. Unfortunately, what we're seeing in the rest of the north and the rest of the state now is that other counties are starting to catch up with us, uh, and that's not good. So mm. we haven't seen uh, a, a, a drop yet in Donegal in terms of the cases. I'm very disappointed in that. I know people are doing a lot of you know, digging deep, but I think we all need to do a lot more. Uh, and unfortunately, if we can't get this under control, uh, we're likely to see further um, restrictions, and I expect uh, restrictions uh, to be taking place in the north as well. Okay. Pierce Doherty from Sinn Féin, thank you for that. And sorry we were so caught for time. We were both running a little bit late, I think, this morning. Interesting um, interesting ideas there about the budget. Would love to know your thoughts on that. 185 on the opinion line on Monday morning a nice sunny-ish Monday out there I think the weather was so beautiful yesterday we all got a bit of a boost from it um, I've been speaking to Piers Doherty from Sinn Féin just in relation to the budget but of course one of the groups that is really looking for support from the budget this year is the hospitality industry and Aaron Mansworth who's the managing director of Trigon Hotels and also is speaking on behalf of the Irish Hotels Federation is on the line now Good morning Aaron. Good morning Deirdre How are you this morning? I'm not too bad. I can imagine um, probably a bit better than, than people working in the hotel industry at the moment. I'd say things are very tough. Yeah, it, well, I suppose what we're calling them is a challenge, Deirdre, to be honest. It's, um, it's, it's been a very difficult uh, six, seven months, um, you know, since, since we've, we've closed, reopened. And I think that when, when the levels sort of fluctuate, it really impacts our industry because even the talks of changing levels has an impact, you know, in terms of bookings and things like that. So it, it, it's been tough, and you know, to be fair, it's it's massively impactful on on our wonderful team members, you know, across across our fantastic industry, yeah. and really have have seen the brunt of it, you know. In terms of the the hotels that you're working with, the Trigon, so people will know those hotels. What's what's the status at the moment? So at level three, what are you allowed to do? So we have three hotels. Currently, we have the Metropole Hotel, which everybody's familiar with, city centre. Mm-hmm. And we have the two airport properties, Cork International and the Cork Airport Hotel. So one of our hotels has been closed since March, one of the airport hotels, really due to the volume, you know, at, at the airport. It just shows how, how slow it is um, and, and the source that they require as well. So the other two properties that we have, when you're at level three, you're allowed open to residents so if we're to serve meals, we can serve lunch or dinner, but only to residents. But the knock-on is really is that 
you can only serve the people that you have in the hotel. Mm. And when you look at Cork, Cork depends massively on that corporate business, the outside travel, people coming in. Over 60% normally of our business would be business, you know, from, from the corporate sector. So all that's gone. Um, but, you know, I suppose... The only the only thing out of all this is that you know you can really see some great innovation across hotels, our own hotels, across the industry, cafes, bars, restaurants. There's, there's really some some good stuff going on, and um, it's still only a drop in the ocean. But I think people are trying to keep focused and positive as best as they can, and say we're we're, we're going to get through this. You know, and you will see you know the carcation or the nearcation raising its head massively, and mm. you know I'd implore people to really utilise that in Cork. You know, support support your own within the county. We have an amazing county and city across across both. So there's some fantastic opportunities there, particularly coming up to midterm, you know. Well, that's true. I mean, to be fair, Cork, people are better off um, than anyone else in the country when it comes to being stuck in your own county. She must yeah. Cork people go on holidays in Cork anyway. It doesn't, doesn't make Absolutely. a huge difference. Um, Absolutely. I was, uh, I was down in Ballinacora House and concealed myself over the weekend and uh, it was, you could have been anywhere. So it was it was great. But, um, but I know that people are nervous and I know that a lot of people... I suppose don't feel comfortable now at level three, maybe going places. Um, so you are going to be needing some support from the government. I know that in in the papers and in the reports this morning, there's um, they're suggesting the nine percent VAT rate will be brought back. Um, they're also looking at some kind of a tax back scheme um, and a bailout package for businesses that ha- are closing. You know, according to the level that they've had to close at. Um, is there anything specific that you're looking for that that you think they they can do to make life easier in the medium term? Um, absolutely, and I think you touched on it earlier in the previous interview. Is in, in terms of the employment subsidy. While again, you know, all the supports that have been put in place today have been greatly appreciated. You know, what was the TWSS the subsidy scheme then, um, and replaced by the EWSS. You know, as your as your previous guest mentioned, that it was it was cut down by half. Um, and while it's still greatly appreciated, more is needed, unfortunately, because when you go to the levels that we're at, um, it's just not sustainable. And, and, and the problem is that, it, you know, it has the impact on jobs. You you probably have seen the information this morning of, you know, there's still probably 100,000 jobs at risk. There's at least 80,000, 90,000 jobs gone from the industry. So we're looking at out of 270,000 jobs that were there at the start of this year, you know, we could be looking at maybe 80,000, 90,000 jobs being left. So mm. uh, that would be a big one for us because, listen, there's a... a, a at the outset, the most important thing about this is our people, and you know, getting our people through this with our businesses, keeping businesses, you know, intact to, to, to you know, to be able to generate income in the future, to be able to give back. Um, and I think our industry has shown that in the past. You know, it's the largest indigenous industry in, in you know, in, in the country. You know, we generated 9.2 billion. So, you know, it's a great, it's a wonderful industry, and we do give back. So, it's important we look after our people mm. and the industry. Then, I, I suppose the other aspect would be things like the liquidity measures where, you know, we need additional moratoriums from the likes of the banks, rate waivers, and the reduction of that will help massively. Um, but that's that's probably, that'll help when we're up and running. What we need are, are supports that will help businesses survive. And that's the critical piece at this moment, you know. Mm. In terms, I suppose, of the, the the short term, I guess you're looking now at a midterm break. Um, you're looking at Halloween, um, that Halloween week, and Christmas. Those would be the probably key parts of your your um, turnover for this period. Like we we don't know, I guess, at this stage, what kind of plans are you able to make? Um, it's a good question, Deirdre, and you know, it's a little bit of 
you're 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 coming up with three or four scenarios all the time. You know, even when you're moving between different levels, you you're, you're working with multiple scenarios, and they can change on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. But I think from our own point of view, you know, like what we're looking at, obviously the jazz is a huge loss for us all in terms of that lift and spirit that we all look forward yeah. to with the jazz. But I suppose what 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 you're trying to do is you're you're trying to look at family friendly at this moment. So. You know, from our own point of view, we've done like things like the the family date night up at the international, which has been going really well in the past week mm. for the metropole. It's a bed brunch and bubbles package, and um, probably geared a little bit more towards couples. But I suppose the big factor that I would sort of say that people can really do over the next coming days, weeks, months are support these businesses with purchasing of vouchers you know you have to give presents people will give presents anyway mm. and where in the past you might give um, I, I, I don't know I, because there's other industries out there that need help as well but you know from our own point of view you know vouchers help like we had um, we had a member of the team whose mother came up last week and bought 10 vouchers to support Jeez. her daughter's her, wow. her daughter's position yeah. you know, and it's listening like, and it's amazing how all that pulled together will help you know companies that might normally have a Christmas party mm doesn't look like it's going to happen but can that company still buy a voucher for each of their team members for dinner for two you know for bars for restaurants for it all absolutely helps and that's i suppose that's that's where people can help at this moment but again it's going to depend where we go but obviously you know health and safety of team members and guests is always going to be our, our paramount consideration you know mm. Aaron you're um uh, the company that owns Trigon of course it's chinese isn't it um, no 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 oh, it's not. not no no Okay, so I'm we have we have, there, we have so. we 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 have two Irish directors, myself and another gentleman. Oh, okay, sorry, I'm mistaken there. So, because I was going to ask if there was any lessons for for many international colleagues that you've heard about ways of dealing with things, but I'm sure you've been doing your research by yourself. Yeah, uh, well, I, I suppose unfortunately, first year is, is, is that you know this, this is everywhere. There's no there's no little bubble or corner that hasn't escaped. Yeah particularly in hospitality, because like ultimately, and you know, if you come back to the airport, is that we're really not going to see that uplift that we all need until there's international travel. You know, obviously under all the correct regimes, the testing, everything like that, but it's it's until we see that happen, you know, we're not going to get to the levels where, you know, our businesses are going to be supported to the level that they need because, you know, you mentioned there some, some of the numbers, you know, currently for November, October, November, Cork hotels primarily are still looking at single-digit occupancy and it's not just about the bedrooms that people talk about, but the lost functions, you know, yeah. conferences, weddings, you know, colleagues of mine have lost two, three hundred functions this year. Um, and, they, you know, they worked hard to get that business. Yeah. And um, it's, it's, it's devastating, to be honest, you know. Yeah, it's very, very tough. I hope earning something in the budget will will soften things a little bit. It's it's going to be challenging, as you say, no doubt anyway. But um, hopefully, there will be something to kind of um, to to shield you a little bit from the blow. Um, Aaron Mansworth from the IHF. It's a very, very tough time in the industry. Interested to know what people think about that idea of vouchers because I saw somebody tweeting the other day about how they wouldn't buy vouchers this year because they couldn't be guaranteed the businesses would still be open in the new year, and that really struck me. Ordinarily, you know, this is what you would. 
say and I know back in March that was a suggestion but with, I guess you just don't know which businesses now will survive and that's a really awful thing to say but I guess it's um, it's very true. Um, Texter says about home help. Listening to your presenter she made a statement about home help and extra hours does she know where they go? I'm a carer and have been for 40 years and I haven't seen any increase in any hours. It's being suggested um, in the budget that that this is going to be uh, one of the measures taken in the budget to help people out this year. Uh, home help hours will increase by one quarter as part of budget 2021. That's in today's Irish Examiner there in the front. And older and more vulnerable people are to be supported by an extra 5 million home care hours as part of an unprecedented 4 billion spend on health. So that's very interesting because I get I would imagine the thinking behind it is to keep some of the more vulnerable people away from hospitals and away from nursing homes by minding them at home. But um, if you're a carer, I'd be interested to know what you think about it. Um, and certainly if there's any home helps listening, I know there's a few that do listen to us kind of on their way in and out of their car and in and out of people's houses. Um, are there enough home helps to actually do it? I know that the, the services, the people I know working in those services are very under pressure with all of the clients that they have. And I think social distancing and everything has meant they can see fewer people. Um, so it's interesting uh, there. Mary says, in relation to the rent freeze, hi Deirdre, rent freeze means that rents aren't paid. It means they don't increase. doesn't mean rents aren't paid. They, it means they don't increase. As we know, we're paying the highest rents in Europe and a lot of landlords are also TDs. There's, for, that's where the problem lies because these greedy individuals aren't prepared to look at rent reductions. Yeah, Mary, absolutely. But the, the idea of um, rent holidays and mortgage holidays for businesses that can't pay um I think the problem is that if if um, if there is a rent freeze, obviously some landlords will have other businesses and they need to make up that mortgage payment from somewhere else now that they're not having the income from those businesses. And just, you know, at some point, if you if you start freezing things in the economy, where is the money going to come from to pay back the banks? Kind of when you go back to the very back end of it, um, why the banks, as Pierre Starherty said, hadn't been sat down and told to extend mortgage holidays for another six months and to extend... Um, you know, holding off on evictions and that for another six months, I don't know. Uh, Tom says in relation to COVID lockdowns, the WHO are now pleading with government not to lock down anymore. 10% of the world has had COVID, therefore it has a mortality of 0.13% and falling the same as the flu. Fact, you're not a conspiracy. Um, Tom, I don't have the statistics in front of me right there. I I know, well, I don't know about the WHO pleading about lockdowns. What they've said is that they don't believe lockdowns are necessarily the solution, that track and trace and test and trace would be a better um, is a better way of coping with it um, in terms of that mortality rate I don't know about that but also now we are looking at the people who have long COVID who are possibly going to be permanently disabled from it so look at a huge cohort of people now previously young and healthy who might be unable to work into the future that to me is going to be the big impact here it's actually not the number of deaths necessarily um, it's the number of people who get it who will suffer into the long term and we don't know what's going, what really is going to happen with them. I have a response from the lady whose son won't obey the COVID rules and I'll read that in just a moment. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With the indoor self-service laundrette now at the Junction Supermarket Vickers Road Every day washing and drying done within an hour selfservicelaundry.ie the Cork Diary. Cork's 96FM. A major international conference on the future of disability and the arts will be taking place online on the 14th and 15th of October. The online event will gather advocates, experts, policymakers, service users, and many more to discuss the areas of inclusion, differing abilities, arts, and culture. For more information and to register for free, check out cope-foundation.ie. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email Cork Diary at 96fm.ie. This is Cork's 
Gold, Imro award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Now, the lady whose son um, is 26 years old, he's still living at home mostly and um, doesn't believe in COVID. So he's um, exposing his parents to basically to coronavirus because of his activities outside of the home and isn't taking any notice of them inside the home. She says he's not physically violent towards us, never. He just does what he wants. He's a nice lad to everyone, but he uses us. He has lived outside of home. It did not seem to make him grow up. We have thrown him out of home before, but he got sick and had to return. We really have to be mindful of what could happen to him if we threw him out again. He is out at night time. In fact, he's only home a night or two a week. There are rich kids that have been kicked out of home, but their parents have given them apartments and there are parties and couch surfing going on in all those apartments and that's part of the scene. Everything is on the phone too. The whole life is lived for the phone. He really is like a teenager who never grew up. I can handle it all to a big extent but my biggest fear is that he will spread COVID to other members of the family. I just want to emphasise that he is not violent. A lot of his attitude and expectations come from these rich kids and from them having the flats. We have tried withdrawing privileges, for example Wi-Fi, but he's only here a while and then goes back to the buddies' apartments so it really doesn't make a difference yeah it's very tough isn't it um, Frank says in relation to hotels and the vouchers it's a great great point why don't doesn't the government underwrite all the vouchers so if a business doesn't reopen people are covered um, that's a really good suggestion Frank that would be a really good practical one wouldn't it um, yeah so I don't know what um, much thing Tom is arguing with me about long Covid do I have the numbers I do not have the long co- n- numbers Tom because we simply don't know yet um, uh, Tom should probably contact you know Google Tom is probably where you'll get the figures for that but there are a lot of people coming out now the um, the author uh, Michael Rosen I don't know if people would be familiar with that kids book we're going on a bear hunt um, some houses might be more familiar with it than others but he's a very well known children's author he's a man I think in his 50s and he has been talking about basically how since having it he's kind of unable to do anything um, and we have seen we saw that young man from Dublin on the television a couple of weeks ago I've come across a, peop- a couple of people anecdotally myself who are suffering the side effects of it it's well documented that it is a thing but of course we don't have statistics yet because in order to have it you have to have had Covid a few months ago so it'll take some time to build the knowledge on that um, but that's my fear you know I'm not a, I'm not a medical expert and I'm not suggesting I am but that is what I think is probably going to be the long term impact of all of this one of the other impacts of Covid and of the pandemic um, is of course litter. Everybody who has been out walking around their local area has spotted this, that there is um, there are gloves I was it was gloves at the beginning, it seems to be less gloves now masks and all sorts of paraphernalia thrown around um, town centres and nice scenic areas where there, people will be out walking um, it seems to be actually worse so the, the Irish Business Against Litter Survey is out uh, today and Conor Horgan from IBAL is on the line. Conor it's very sad to see things getting worse instead of better, isn't it? It is. Now, they, we are in exceptional times, uh, Deirdre, but unfortunately, this um, decrease in the number of clean towns, which we found, that is something that had started before COVID. But, 
you know, you mentioned the case of uh, PPE litter there. It's definitely been accelerated by the circumstances around COVID. And you would think, like, particularly, I suppose, during the lockdown back in March, people really got out and about and they were going to the beaches near their home and people were discovering all these little beauty spots that they weren't aware of before. Um, and certainly, I know my local Teddy Towns group in Cove, they're like some kind of, they, to be honest, put them running the country and everything will be will be fine and be out of this whole COVID thing. But they were as busy as ever. Um, I suppose it's an outdoor activity and you can do it socially distanced and all of that. So I'm surprised to learn that there kind of wasn't more um, voluntary or just people out and about tidying up after other people. Um, it seems to be less of that because people are afraid. Yes, there was, and you know, certain grassroots initiatives, and I see them in Limerick and also mm. like the tidy towns as such, didn't take place in its normal form. So yeah. certainly for a period of lockdown there, there were fewer people out and about. I think just a general problem, Deirdre, though, which is a bit concerning, that people naturally don't want to pick up PPE litter, yeah. so it stays on the ground. But I think in the climate we're in, there's probably a natural reticence for people to pick up any litter. Yeah. And that is worrying because it's it's... That sort of civic responsibility that has brought us to the good place we've been in. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, and it's, um, I know myself, I always kind of, if I'm on the beach, I always pick up litter after me. But now yeah. I'd be thinking twice about it. I'd be saying, right, do I have my hand sanitizer to use if I pick this up? You know, I'm not going to put it into my car, which I normally would, and bring it home. Um, so if there isn't a bin there at the beach, it's not, it, I probably won't pick it up. So That's is right. there anything that, that is being done kind of to address this? Well, you know, unfortunately, that's compounded by the fact that the chances that the local authority is going to pick it up are significantly less than 12 months ago mm. because their teams are curtailed. Instead of sending maybe two people out in a van, that's one person doing half the work. Yeah. Um, and lots of, divor- of, of resources, you can imagine, are being diverted to COVID at local authority level. Even things like cleaning streets, furniture and signage and stuff like that. So that's all taking away from the normal clean-up work they'd be doing. Like, that's not going to change. That's the worry here. So um, while we're highlighting issues related to COVID, they may well apply in 12 months' time. So, you know, we need to think about that. And, uh, I mean, one thing we should do, Deirdre, I think, is, is, is move to reusable masks pretty promptly. Yeah. We're not doing that. And masks are still new, and how we use them is still quite new to us. I think that results in lots of them going on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to have a, a different relationship with our mask, if you like. So that's something that needs to change pretty rapidly. Yeah, absolutely. It's, but I suppose one thing in terms of what the local, and that's a practical thing that all of us can do is buy some reusable masks and not be throwing away the disposable ones. In terms then though of the bigger picture and of the local authorities' ability to be out cleaning the streets, of course your members presumably are mostly availing of rates holidays or largely availing of rates holidays. So mm. the, the local authority doesn't have that income anymore. No, there's, that's, a, that's, that's a reality. Um, what we've said is that you know, it was a disappointing finding of our, our survey this year that last year we highlighted over 60 very bad sites, and they would have included the Cork areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and we revisited them this summer, and fewer than 40% of them had been cleaned up at all. Wow, so okay. So we would say to the local authority, you know, you, you maybe need to be more focused in your efforts. Um, it's not acceptable that a heavily littered site on the Cork North side has not been touched 12 months later. Yeah, that's very poor. And, and that will improve things hugely because lots of areas are brought down by just one or two really bad sites. In the main, we have a clean country and the main streets tend to be clean. It's just 
pockets of litter and litter black spots that we need to weed out. And the local authority can still do that, even with scarcer resources. Okay, Conor Horgan from IBEL, thank you for that. And it is interesting because the whole point of that IBEL survey is kind of to shame local authorities into sorting out particular locations. And it does make sense from that perspective. Now, one location that did pretty well this year is Fermoy, and Paul Kavanagh is the project manager for Fermoy Tidy Towns. You've done quite well in this survey, uh, according to IBEL. You must be delighted. Uh, good morning, Deirdre. Yeah, we're delighted that we've improved our, our standing. We've moved from 14th. Uh, into a position and we're behind the big guns of Kilkenny and Killarney and Maynooth and Atlone and Ennis and I think you said something about it earlier that they're the towns and the cities with the big budgets mm. and for me doesn't have much of a budget to be honest with you and yeah. um, County Council are definitely uh, focusing more on COVID-19 related situations within the town so it's left to the tidy towns and the community employment schemes to do the work. And I suppose, look, cooperation, we're working together. Uh, we didn't want to let it slip. Um, when Connor said there, the Tidy Towns competition was dropped by um, the government this year. I think yeah. it was a major mistake. Yeah. Uh, I think it was a major mistake for all the good towns in, in Cork that get on well in that. And accordingly, then things slipped. Uh, and we saw it slipping in for Moy and we decided, you know what, let's do competition or no competition. We're not in it for a competition. We're in it to make for Moy a cleaner town. That's the name of our Facebook site. And that's what we do. We make for Moy a nicer place to live in, a nicer place to come and shop, etc. And so I think we've done well because we've, we've, we've kept people moving during mm-hmm. COVID. Yeah, that's a really good point that like you're not doing it for, for some external thing and actually seeing as people are at home so much more than they were um, an awful lot of people now working from home I actually, uh, I've been waiting for the national media to actually notice but all of these like suburban cafes say cafes, some fabulous cafes in Formoy, um, I know there's a couple in Cove that have done so well out of all the people working from home, city centres are suffering but actually people are spending more time in the towns and villages that they live in probably than they ever have, so it probably is important to keep them looking nice and tidy It absolutely is the one point I want to make on that Deirdre is that I'm saying this to County Hall now mm. that during this, uh, whatever they were doing, shall we say, to clean up the towns, they actually took away bins. Uh, mm. For my lost eight bins, as an example. And I've spoken sake. to other towns who've lost bins, and we're going, what's that about, lads? Yeah. There's more bins we want at this time, because you are correct. All the the, the masks, the, the gloves, the gloves were a huge problem at the start. Mm. And now it's throwaway wipes. Those wipes are appearing everywhere. Mm. Now, what we say to people is, don't, no, no, we'll give you a picker. Anyone comes to us, we yeah. will give them a picker. I've given out four pickers in the last week alone. Pickers are not the problem. So if if, if you want a picker, contact us and Formoy and all the other tidy towns groups in the county and city areas. We will give you a picker. If you need a picker, we'll get you one. Don't you worry about that. You so pick you it up, put it in the bag, steal the bag and put it in the bin. Yeah. Don't have to get the hands dirty. Like no, this no, is the and, thing. I mean, and don't don't accept that. Oh, that's because of COVID. It's there. Mm. Uh, I, I want to mention one group in particular uh, who got their act together at the very start. It was very bad down in Lidl, uh, Lidl, whichever way you want to pronounce that. Uh, uh, in the Fromoy one in particular, and we went to them and we had a discussion with them. And I went there yesterday, not even knowing that this competition result was coming out. And I put photographs up last night. The place was spotless. 
Why? They've got to act together. They've now got bins internally for cardboard and plastics and everything, which is absolutely fantastic. So we need the businesses to step up as well mm. and not to be letting it to the volunteers and to the community employment schemes yeah. and to the council workers. We've only three council workers in Formoy uh, working on the whole uh, area, on the whole municipal area. Three underground. That's ridiculous. We should have ten. Yeah. You know in what terms I mean? then, so, Paul, of the Tidy Towns, did you get any new volunteers during the lockdown? Yeah, we got, well, i tell you what we got. We had, obviously, and, and Connor was right there a minute ago, and you touched on it, that we had a number of people cocooning, number mm, one. Yeah. Then we had a number of people who were afraid. I'll be quite honest with yeah. you. But what we did is we put on the masks and we got out there and people saw us. And then all of a sudden, when they saw us doing it, they said, sure, if you're doing it, I can do it. Mm-hmm. And we led by example. And uh, as I said, in the last week alone, 10 days, I've given out four pickers. So there were four new volunteers. Now, they're not going to come along when we have organised events. They will do it in their own particular area. Yeah. One shopkeeper in an industrial estate, not an industrial, more more commercial estate, shall I say, came to me last week and I said, there's a picker. Oh, no, I, I'm okay. There's a picker. There's no point in picking. Don't pick it up with your hands. There's yeah. a picker for you. Yeah. And he keeps that estate perfect. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. We all kind of I mean, I remember back in the day my, my dad had a pub and you sweep outside your own bit of bit of footpath and you make sure that that bit outside your place is tidy and if the fellow next door isn't going to do it, well then you'll do the bit outside his too because we all kind it of will. have to look after our own space a bit, don't we? We do indeed. And what I'm asking more businesses to do, and a lot of them have done it from why, and a lot of the businesses have got behind us. But in the, in this particular um um when they did the report this time, they actually went into an industrial estate. And obviously, guys are are inside. They come out for their cigarettes. If they do not have a cigarette receptacle mm-hmm. or a bin to put it into, you know where it's going to go. Of course, yeah. Right, okay. And there'll be a competition to flick it the furthest or whatever. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. You know what I mean? We need more bins. We need more receptacles. Businesses need to put in receptacles as well. Yeah. The other... The other huge area is people throwing litter out the window of their car. I, I still don't understand it. Uh, I can't figure it out, obviously. The, the, the burger wrapper, the can, the bottle. Yeah. If, if I told you some of the stuff we found on the side of the road, uh, Deirdre, you know what I mean? It's amazing. Aerosol cans, shaving cans. Uh, is it like Mr. Bean going to work or what? Shaving I, I, the I don't car know. on their way. I, I really don't know. I mean, some of the stuff we find is unbelievable. But, I mean, we get a great laugh out of that, and I suppose it drives us on as well. Yeah. But, our major problem in Formoy is people avoiding the toll are coming down from Watergrass Hill via Formoy. So we've more traffic going through Formoy than we ever had. So really? We, we do have, from people we, avoiding oh, the yeah. toll? Oh yeah, avoiding the toll. Yeah. yeah, Two euros each way, so that's four euros in the day if you're yeah. living in Mitchellstown and working down a little island. Oh, you're, you're avoiding the toll you're coming it. through yeah. Formoy. Absolutely. So we do have a problem with that. But, I mean, eyeball are highlighting all those items to us. So that's a huge problem for us and for my that other towns don't have. God, I never would have thought of that. Paul, thanks no, for that. That's Very a new interesting one. points. Yeah, it is. Um, God, I drive that road a fair bit, and we we only go, go through from Oi for the coffee the odd time. They have lovely, yeah. lo- couple of lovely coffee shops there, but uh, that's very interesting about the traffic. I, I hadn't realised that. Paul Kavanagh from from Oi Tidy Towns, thanks for that. So, listen, if you're one of those people who throws things out the window of your car, would you ever get a grip like like that young fellow we were talking about earlier? Who do you think is there to be cleaning up after you? Clean up after yourself? I just think it's disgusting. Like, bring it home um, and. Th- shaving foam 
I just, I'm actually a bit lost for words. That's, I'm trying to get a mental image of, I mean, it's one thing to do a dry shave in the car on your way. I had a friend who was keeping an electric shaver. I mean, God help, his car must have been filthy. He was keeping an electric shaver in the front of the car and shave on his way places. But if you were doing it with a can of shaving foam, I'd imagine that's a bit messy to be doing on the go and probably definitely qualifies as dangerous driving if you were caught by the guards. And then to throw it out the window. Well, I hope, I hope you do get caught if you are someone doing that. Um, interesting uh, looking at those those figures for Ibel. Cork's north side is littered and uh, I think the um, there was particular areas of the north side as well that were particularly bad which is very sad because I know that this community group's up there doing really really well. Uh, the South Mall was looking the best the surveyor had ever seen. Shandon, I'd say that's because of the new businesses there too, they've outdoor seating and things. Shandon Historical Quarter was very well presented and maintained with no litter. St. Patrick Street was exceptionally freshly presented. The waterside environment of the lock was a lovely natural setting which was well respected and maintained. Barrick Street was looking very well following significant investment in urban renewal. The Crow's Nest has transformed from a derelict site to a spotless building site in 2020. By far the most heavily littered sites in this survey were St. Patrick's Quay and Western Road and I think we all know why there's so much litter on Patrick's Quay. Anyone who goes through the city would know the reason for that. Uh, Mahan uh, has seen some progress since last year. Still a bit littered around the Maples. Avenue Duren is littered. Examples of top ranking sites included the Crescent Longshore Drive. Joe McHugh Park was a particularly nice outdoor environment but the most heavily littered site was the open green space offering Mahan Road. No change since last year. On the north side only two litter free sites. Um... Old Mallow Road showed evidence of cleaning and maintenance but some of them very long term littered uh, Mayfield Industrial Estate Sun Valley Drive Kilmore Road and Mount Agnes Cronin's Field an overall increase in the amount of cans both mineral and alcohol related that's very sad to see isn't it if you're living in any of those areas and you've thoughts on it give us a shout 1850 Kiln dried wood and briquettes for collection or delivery. Solidfueldepot.ie. Question number 10. Finish this movie title Fear and Loathing. In Las Vegas. Laura, what's your full name? Laura Kennedy. And you're from? Glenville. You've won 2,000. No euros. way! Oh, that's unbelievable. That's how you do it. Well, I actually can't believe Laura. that. Hello. Hello. Your, your mummy has just won loads of money. Loads of money. What do you want? I got you. Another winner. There you go. 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 The two grand minute. Listen to play. At 7.40 and 8.40 every day. Casey and Ross in the morning. On Cork's 96 FM. Sean and Matley passed away in... August at a young age. She will have been very well known to a lot of people up around the north side, particularly to her friends at Ryan Supervalue and Leslie O'Sullivan uh, from there I believe is running a marathon in aid of Pieta House in Shauna's memory. Good morning Leslie. Good morning Deirdre, how are things? Not too bad at all Leslie. Tell me about your connection with Shauna and about why you decided to do this fundraiser. Um, Shauna was a, a, a colleague and a friend. She walked in the shop in Super Rain, Super Rain, Um she was much respected and very well liked. Um, she was a very young age. Um, like she got on with everybody, all the young girls down there know everybody. Um, as I said, she was much much liked, well respected. And um, it was just a shock to the system when it happened, you know. 
Yeah, absolutely. And she, um, as you say, she was she was very well loved, and there was a lot of grief at the time of her her unexpected death. And that's why I suppose that's why Pieta House is the is the charity benefiting from this. Yeah, well, Pieta House do do do, do outstanding work. Um, like suicide touches everybody. I don't think there's anybody that it hasn't touched. You know. Mm. Um, we just said like we like just just a light bulb moment. What could we do? Um, I think I was out running one day, and I, I just, I, as you get a light bulb moment, and I, I came home and said to my wife, and I said, "What, what would you think we're on a virtual marathon for, for in memory of Sean and to raise funds for Peter House?" And I ran by the, the management then and staff and Super Value and her family, and um, they were all for it, and it was, it was just almost enough for us. Then we went away, we started getting training, getting fit, and. We um we set up an uh, an I donate page on Ryan Soap Value and it was shared and it's 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 kicking on and we're, we're, as I say we're just we're just trying to raise funds and and like if this if this helps one person it's a mm. it's a, a complete success do you know what I mean absolutely and um in terms then of the marathon how many of you are going to do it there's actually three of us great um no restrictions and what have you mm. um. We'll have to wait and see what happens, but we, we've got a route done out. Um, we're going to leave Southwell Glamour. We're going to go to the bus in, in, in Monkstone. Wow. And we're going to come back. Yeah. Um, now, as I say, with restrictions, that's the route at the minute, so please God, that, that's what will happen. Um, but yeah, two weeks from yesterday, so the training is done out. The easy parts just through the runs, you know. And have you all had to train separately, or were you allowed to train together? No, myself and... Uh, Alan Daly, he, he's a friend of mine. We, we train together and um, we run together. We, done, we do all our long runs together and it's much easier if you have a guy alongside you than to do it on your own, do you know? Of course, yeah, absolutely. Um, but the easy part is running, do you know? That's yeah. the easy part. Um, were any of you able to attend her funeral? We weren't able to attend the funeral, but we, we, we went We went and seen her in, in, the, in the funeral home. It's just, it's just surreal, do you know? Yeah. Like she was like she was sleeping. She's a beautiful girl, a beautiful girl. And um, like when you see a person in your work clothes and, and everything, and you, you you see him outside of it, then it's just there's no comparison. She was just stunning, beautiful girl, and she's just so so sad, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And have you been in touch with her family, or have they? I have. Of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like um, there's a few for like um, it, it, like Ryan Super Value. It, it's everybody knows everybody down there, and and like. Even her friends, I work alongside her friends. No, it's very tough on them. Do you know what I mean? It's very, very hard. Um, and these are the kids you've watched enough for, do you know? Yeah. And there's massive community support. I mean, Ryan's is a real hub in Glanmire. It kind of seems brilliant. to be the centre of the community. Um, and great always to, to get behind any charity events or community events. Um, have you been surprised kind of at the the reaction from customers and from, from the community in Glanmire? Big time, big time. Like the support you get is unreal. Um, as I say, we set up an Aidan page and, and it, it snowballed, you know, and yeah. it, it, it's just fabulous. And even people coming along and wishing you well and, and saying you, you're doing great and, and, and this and that, you know. But it, it's just like, as I say, we're, we're doing the easy part, you know, all we're doing is running. Um, um, like, but the support is, is incredible, fairness. You know? Brilliant, Leslie. Well, look, best of luck with it. We'll tweet out that link and hopefully get you a few more quid for Pieta because yeah, I know there. Yep. Yeah. I'd just like to thank the, the staff. Um, in, in Super Valley and, and Sean's family for giving us the go ahead to do it. Um, 
Absolutely. It can't be easy for them. And, and as I say, all I want to do is, is run it in memory of Shauna yeah. and to raise as much money as we can for, for Peter House. And, and if this affects one more life, it's a complete success. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Leslie O'Sullivan from Glenmire, thank you very much for that. It's um, very sad and I suppose it's hard to keep a perspective sometimes of COVID going on, that all these other things are still going on and, you know, people are still um, struggling with, with their own things and their own griefs. And to all of Shauna's family, just know that we're thinking of you today we know you've had a lot of tragedy in the past year with the passing of Timmy as well and it's been a very very tough time for you um, but hopefully at least you know that people are thinking of you and that you have the support of the community um, in, in what they're doing. It's a lovely idea from Leslie. And some breaking news I'm just seeing in the north a government minister has told the Nolan show that Chief Medical Officer Dr Michael McBride wants a six, a six week full lockdown including schools now that's in the north so it'll be very interesting to see if that happens um, and it might prevent some of that kind of cross contamination across the border but it'll be, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if it does happen. Now, a lot of people last week, we were talking about all the students and the young people who are at home and have nothing to do and nowhere to go and our friend we were talking about earlier, the 26-year-old, um, and they were saying, one person rang in and said, why don't we spend, send all the young people to Spain for the summer to pick fruit, uh, or for the winter rather, and see how they get on doing a bit of hard work and uh, getting a bit of life experience. Um, you know, I suppose they'd be all outside and socially distanced and all that, but um, it, I thought it was an interesting idea and then I saw on Twitter the bumblebee flower farm in West Cork are actually recruiting people to grow and pick flowers. Mags Reardon is on the line. Hi, Mags. Hi, Dee. How are you? So how many young delinquents do you need? We will put them on a bus and send them to West Cork. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was interested when you messaged me. I thought, do you know what? Now there's something more in this because outside of, yes, we're um, in the process of taking two people on part-time but we also have tentatively been starting a volunteering programme. Brilliant. Which may be of interest as well. And it's, you know, it's, you know where we sit with the whole environmental aspect of what we do. And there's people out there that do want to learn, but they don't kind of know how to go about it. And information is a bit fragmented on the internet. And it's, you know, some of it's a bit confusing. But whereas if you actually come, have a look at the way things are grown, how they're done, you get a much better picture. And I suppose it's a way of us giving back as well. So maybe something like that might be of interest. So it's not quite military boot camp, but it'd be a bit nicer than that. <laughs> it, it would be a little bit nicer, but you know, it's still horticulture, it's still hard graft. It's hard work, yeah. Hard on the back, I'd say, is it? It is, you know, you do. You need to know how to bend properly and use your knees and, you know, all of those things. All of those are, kind of things. Uh, but it's a great yeah. sign for you, Mags. People seem to be focusing this year on buying Irish flowers. I think about five, when we got married about five years ago, six, seven years ago, um, you couldn't actually buy Irish flowers in a florist. I think that's changing, isn't it? It certainly is. I'm so glad to see it. But it's people's awareness as well, which mm. drives that. Yeah. Um, there are growers out there and it's, you know... I suppose we need to probably be a little bit more vocal about what we do and why we do it, you know, to to reach a a more mainstream audience. But certainly for me, uh, when lockdown came in, again, I took to Twitter and said, look, lads, I'm swimming in flowers. Do you want them? And we're building relationships now. I'm building kind of an awareness that, yes, they are there. Yes, they can be organically grown. I know not everybody does, but... It's, it's it's waking people up to, and it's, it's, 
the most message that I get from people is, oh my God, the scent. Yeah, it's so different to the to the hothouse ones. Yeah. Um, Mags, where you can know, people find out more about the job? They can, if they email me at hello at Bumblebee Flower Farm, I will go through, get in contact and we'll kind of take it take from, from there. there. Brilliant. Then, you know, it'll be phone call and if the usual. you're suitable, down then on the farm. Great stuff. Mags Reardon from Bumblebee Flower Farm. Sorry, I don't have more time with that, but it's very interesting if you've been laid off or you're looking for work and you fancy a bit of outdoor time smelling the flowers. Hard work, but you get to smell the flowers. I think that sounds like a lovely option. It just shows you the sort of things that have grown during lockdown. I think Mags' business has actually grown because of people buying uh, subscription flowers for their houses because they're working from home and they're trying to brighten the place up. So there you go. There's always a silver lining to everything. Uh, thanks to Fergal and Doc for for uh, producing and editing today's show and uh, to um, our new addition who's been watching in the wings today uh, to see how things are going to go. Terry Brennan, I'd like to welcome him on board as well. PJ, hopefully we'll be back with you tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of your day. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Junction Supermarket, Vickers Road. Everyday essentials, fresh bakery and Asian foods. Open every day till late. The Junction Supermarket, Vickers Road. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 